This episode of Those Conspiracy Guys is supported by Audible. For a free audiobook, head to audible.com slash tcg or text tcg to 500-500 to get a 30-day free trial and a free audiobook. So support our show and get yourself a free audiobook by visiting audible.com slash tcg or texting tcg to 500-500 for a free 30-day trial. Thanks, Audible. Hello everybody and welcome to another true crime story from those conspiracy guys. Uh, My name is Gordo and today we're going to be talking about Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber. The best best bomber this side of the Mississippi. Uh, He was uh, known for sending dozens of bombs to dozens of locations uh, all over America over a 20 year period. And he was almost not caught <laughs> up until the very, very end. Uh, it's an amazingly, fascinatingly uh, strange and, uh, as I found out by researching, a deep, deep uh, uh, case, you know, some government involvement and even some collusion and corruption. And, and of course, we have to mention MK Ultra in this motherfucker, as we always do in every single episode. Uh, but uh, joining me here in the studio, uh, the wonderful, the beautiful, the flexible and the uh, uh, exuberant personality that is uh, Claire Fox yeah I'm glad you you said uh, personality um, when you mentioned flexible because uh, it's been a while since I've been at yoga so uh, but uh, I have a very flexible personality we just do the Bikram yoga which yeah. is just you sit in a really warm room and sweat yeah but there's yeah. a bit of stretching in that too. oh no we don't do I'm just at beginner's level which is just the sweating oh, okay the yeah. lying on the mat for 90 minutes sweating in a sweating. hot room and yeah. then you come home come home totally and cool weigh yourself and you've lost two stone yeah that's perfect. Nice. That's exactly what it is. Nice. That's exactly what it's for. Um, so this time we're going to be doing uh, the Unabomber. Claire and I have watched the Manhunt Unabomber uh, Netflix series. Yeah. Uh, this this uh, case was on the list anyway. Mm. And uh, there, there's some really nice true crime and some really nice uh, conspiracy TV shows now cropping up in the mainstream media, which I'm, I'm kind of appreciating. I'm going conspiracy theories, the new rock and roll. It's all happening. And this Manhunt series was a whopper, right? Yeah, it was It was really interesting. I, um, I remember kind of following somewhat the case um, yeah, when I was back younger. back in school. Yeah. Yeah, I did too. But I mean, like, we weren't... So separate from it, though, because we're in Ireland. Yeah. We're all like, what? And but send them in the post. Even... <laughs> yeah. How did you get them there on time? The post is awful slow. Yeah. Do you know? And the internet was also awful slow. Yeah. So we it. couldn't really keep abreast of the story. So it was nice to get it all, you know, concise in in one place and also to compare it with what we would have been told before yeah this the tv series really went through everything mm. um i found a couple of extra bits and we're going to kind of discuss the motivations that maybe weren't uh, totally looked at in that sh- in that show but there's been loads of uh, podcast episodes done about it and i found a few little bits and pieces that weren't mentioned in those podcasts um like it's a it's a story of a man who was done wrong by the government who decided to take revenge and uh, he was really, really good at it. Yeah. Like, really good, skilled, super smart, genius dude. Um, and as far as I knew, he was just, like, a crazy bastard who loved making bombs. But when we when we dug deeper into it, like, I have all of these all set out uh, for when we're going to be in America from September this year. 
uh, all these episodes of a big massive arc and they finish in the like March, April 2019 mm-hmm. um, from the arc that I have now that we're going to produce from now until the end of August. And this was on the list already and it just so happened this thing got released before Christmas and uh, it, it like watching that show really kind of brought a lot of questions in my mind about the culpability of the government. We talk about all this now as we go mm. through the, the evidence and go through the case, like, but the culpability of the government and the culpability of uh, maybe the FBI and the people who were involved and how they were really just like a fucking, you know, a, a, a cat with a cream flavored arsehole just like couldn't do anything to catch this dude. They were clutching at straws. They were going into like, wood? Is it wood? Wood. It's wood, right? Is it wood? And they were just like... Yeah, they didn't have a lot to go off, nothing, to be fair. Nothing. Yeah, he was he was massively intelligent. Yeah, and he was sending yeah. them on wild goose chases. Though. So like, mm. to, to see how the case unfolded uh, on on that TV show and then to look up the actual... Re- and, you know, usually they'll... they'll uh, I don't know, dramatize a few events or, or change around the timelines and add in a love interest because you got to have one of them. Mm. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, this this whole thing and, and obviously uh, the the uh, the heroic creation of uh, James Fitzgerald as a, a forensic linguistics uh, FBI agent who, who pioneered that, that kind of evidence collection uh, was, I think, much more important than a lot of the documentaries that you could watch about the Unabomber on YouTube now. Yeah. A lot of them are quite... Uh, Vanilla, a little bit just like, here's the thing and there's the stuff. He was smart, but he was too smart. Like, it ended up being just kind of a, a regular villain story. And as we go through his writings, the, Ted Kaczynski's writings and the way he um, the way he criticised modern society, I, I kind of found myself agreeing with him a little more bit. Yeah, I think a lot of people would, but I mean, don't just don't kill people. Yeah, I mean, you don't have to make a bomb and send it in the post to give out. Yeah, he um, should have made a podcast. <laughs> exactly, but he didn't like technology. So, yeah. oh, Catch-22. He had tried to write out all this stuff and nobody heeded his... Nobody wanted it until it was thesis. attached to a bomb. I don't think they wanted it then necessarily either. They just were using it to decipher who it was. Yeah. It was weird, though, how uh, how everything transpired. And it was one of those really unique cases that went on for a super long time. And, uh, you know, unless something massive changed, like with the Ed Kemper case, like Ed Kemper just walked in and went, like uh, Kevin Spacey and the usual suspects just walked in and went, I'm here, like, are you yeah. going to catch me? Which is part of the allure for, for a murderer like that, you know? Yeah, I think it's interesting that a lot of the time it's, the people who are committing heinous crimes are like there's an element of like voyeurism like they want to watch the people suffer but but he didn't like no he was so totally disparate he was completely yeah like so even if he had posted them like in other cases you might think that somebody would actually travel to see what they had caused yeah like he would return into the scene of the crime or whatever yeah but he wouldn't have even seen it on the news because he was he had no telly yeah he was happy enough just to... He was living in his little shed going, done, yeah, next. Lash in the letterbox and forget about it. Next, make another bomb. Okay, next, <laughs> another bomb. Okay. Hey, everybody, and welcome to uh, B- Bomb Sundays with me, Ted Kaczynski. This mm, time... I prefer Oprah. Yeah. So before we get into the case itself, then, uh, I just want to let you know that if you want to contact the show, you can email us, info at thoseconspiracyguys.com. Uh, I get them. I'm getting loads of emails. I'm sorry I'm not replying as quickly as I, I, I should be or could be. 
but um, it's real busy over here lately, so sorry about that. Info at thoseconspiracyguys.com if you want to leave me a message uh, for anything that we're, we're talking about in the show or any suggestions that you have or, you know, any commentary, anything like that. We're also on all the social media, so it's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, uh, uh, Pinterest, you know, you name it, Snapchat, you name it, we're on it. Uh, just look up Those Conspiracy Guys, RT Conspiracy Guys, and you'll find us. We also have a website that has all of the documentaries, all of the articles, and all of the episodes that you can share about to your friends and go, hey, check out this crazy shit. You can get to that at www.thoseconspiracyguys.com, and everything is in that. Um, I'm after uploading a load of videos, uh, all the documentaries from the now defunct vid.me uh, up to BitChute, so we're using BitChute now as the repository for all of the documentary videos, and then the vlogs and all the other stuff, uh, the live shows and everything else like that will live on YouTube, and hopefully not get dinged for, you know, suppressive content or something like that, I don't know how it's going to work, but, uh, you know, we're back live streaming now, and uh, you can go and check out the stuff on YouTube or on BitChute, and all of them are going to be all on uh, thoseconspiracyguys.com we're also on minds.com as well for those of you that are into that uh, and have the app for that we also do live shows uh, and we also do like uh, chats with the fans using an app called discord which is like a a server that all the tcg fans live in and it uses text uh, uh, video and audio messaging and we can all chat amongst each other and there's like different channels for each episode and then there's like social channels as well where there's i think there's about 600 people in it now and we all get in and have the chats and uh, you know talk about current events and news and stuff that's happening and it's a little bit more of a direct uh two-way communication than facebook uh we just post in a post and you making a comment underneath it there's a, a to and fro and if i'm not in there there's loads of other people to talk to about stuff as well so you can hit up discord uh, the link is in the twitter uh, description or it's on the homepage of the website as well and we do have t public which is our t-shirt store uh, where you can go and get a themed designed curated uh, t-shirt designs all conspiracy type t-shirts so you can head over to tpublic.com slash store slash those conspiracy guys the link is on the website too and the lifeblood of the show and we want to say thanks so much to all of these people patreon.com so it's patreon.com slash those conspiracy guys for all the lovely people over there we've got loads of brand new folks in patreon this month i think we've got about 60 something uh, since the start of january so obviously the christmas blues are well and truly over you're in there getting loads of extra content you're getting a, a private rss feed that has loads of outtakes and old shows and live appearances and all the stuff that's not on the main uh, podcast feed. You're getting loads of extra videos. You're getting exclusivity to all of these vlogs that we make on the recording days. You get them earlier than everybody else. And uh, you have a, a direct line communication to me. So you send me a message, I get it, I reply, and we all have great crack. So there's loads of stuff in there for you to look at. Hours of extra content. Patreon.com slash those conspiracy guys. Uh, and you can go over and you support the show as well. And finally... Uh, I do have an announcement. We have the GoFundMe that's up for the USA documentary trip that's starting in September of this year. Uh, the phase one goal for this trip is for the 28th of February and it's for 30,000 euro. And uh, we're nowhere nearly close at the moment. But I guess uh, people are waiting for payday for the end of January and you're all sidling up to donate swaths of money uh, as soon as the 1st of February comes around. So it's GoFundMe.com slash TCGTV. Now I have a few little bits of quick maths for you. We have uh, 350 hours uh, worth of podcasts with another 50 hours worth of uh, video 
content that's on YouTube and it's also in the Patreon. So that's 400 hours, right? So if you were to give a, a, a euro for every 100 hours that you've listened to this podcast, uh, if 15,000 people were to do that, uh, we have hit our goal 100%. In 24 hours, the last episode that we put up on Heaven's Gate got 27,000 downloads. So if half of the people that listened to that in the first 24 hours gave a euro for every 100 hours of the show, we'd have hit our target. Like that's how many people are listening to the show and that's how little people are supporting uh, the GoFundMe at the moment. From 180,000 subscribers from the last episode on the Mormons that have downloaded it so far, uh, we've only got, I think, about 60 people have have donated to the GoFundMe. So I'm really putting it out there to you guys now. I know it's not going to happen probably until payday, but please, please, please hit up the GoFundMe.com slash TCGTV and donate what you can. All the details for the whole trip are all in there. Uh, we're going to be traveling around uh, the United States for t- 12 months, hopefully, if the funds uh, uh, come in. And I'm going to be making 12 documentaries and some of the titles include Gun Control, Racism, Religion, Food and Health, uh, apocalypse politics technology medicine and it'll be dealing with all of those topics and the broad range of people that we can talk to in the usual tcg way uh, we're coming in throwing a bit of fucking jokes and having a bit of this uh, with scientists and politicians and you know experts people that we only just talk about and read about here on the show while i'm in me jocks inside in the office making the podcast uh, i want to get out to the world i want to make 12 documentaries feature length and I want to make a daily vlog of our adventures as well. And you can help make this happen by going over to GoFundMe.com slash TCGTV. There's loads of costs and loads of stuff uh, uh, involved in a massive, massive project like that. And it's a big swing for us. Uh, I'm going to be making all the shows right the way up till the end of August that'll last you right the way to the middle of 2019 until we're back. And hopefully be able to make some class big podcast episodes while we're over there with American YouTubers, podcasters and comedians alike. And, uh, you know, maybe get some famous people on and maybe get some, you know, rubbing shoulders, doing all that stuff. So that's what the goal is now. Uh, we have to get to 30,000 by the end of February or else it's probably not going to be as big a scale. I'm going to have to reconstitute everything and replan everything. So please, please, please. I'm not going to beg like this for as long on any other episodes coming up. Uh, for the next little while but i really want to get this info out there to you guys gofundme.com slash tcgtv please 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 go and have a look at least have a look check out the details and uh, like i said for 180,000 of you that listen to the mormons episode if 10 percent of that that's like 15,000 people get five euro we'd have hit 100 percent of the mark so if you're thinking ah somebody else is going to do it don't go do it yourself five bucks it's like buying me a beer it's like buying me a coffee Loads of people are offering like, hey, man, I'd love to buy you guys a beer. It's like, I, you know, I don't drink. Just give me a fiver. <laughs> do you know, that's a bit shitty. But like I'm trying to do a, do a speculation accumulation type thing. Uh, and it's a massive media production and, and it's going to it's going to take a lot of effort. Uh, it's not like I'm going to be supping Mai Tais on the beach in Hawaii with your money. Like I'm going to be living in a van for a year with my girlfriend as we bomb around trying to make documentaries from weirdos who live in the fucking forest. Uh, so yeah, gofundme.com slash TCGTV is the link. And if you could help a brother out, you know, all these hours of goodness. So that was a really long uh, Go, GoFundMe pitch. Yeah. Uh, st- sorry about that, but I just, there's a lot of people listening to the show. Um, 
and they're kind of in a backlog so I'm, I'm going to be putting like a tag at the start of all the episodes just mm. a little like one minute hey what's the crack I'm trying to get the word out there there's a lot of people listening and not a lot of people um, donating to this and I just really want to activate that active audience this is so long it's so fucking long okay let's get into it the Unabomber uh, Ted Kaczynski he, he he is he crazy Claire? Um, I don't think he started off crazy I think he started off as a real smart young dude yeah a really intelligent guy I think I like to think that nowadays what happened to him would not happen could not happen yeah to be rules there well he was born in 1942 in Illinois and he was by all accounts like a mathematical genius on paper genius baby Mm. Um, he was a prodigy he had an IQ of 167 and he went to Harvard at just aged 16 yeah and I I have an issue with that as a as a person who works with young people in education and as a person who went to college at a very young age as well yeah I went to college at 17 um, fresh 17 year old yeah yeah super fresh green Sue heck fresh (laughs) (laughs) and you could have you could have been MK Ultrad yourself um, they would have got you in going Geez, I, she looks like a good country girl now she'll answer a few questions I do remember being stopped on Middle Abbey Street um, for the for the Scientology questionnaire yeah I got that as well yeah your man is like here hold these two metal things and think of a sports car and then he's like oh you're not showing up to things it's like I don't drive I don't like cars what do you want from me no they didn't they didn't do that they they just asked me to come with them yeah. but I knew enough to know that that was weird oh I went with them I was a bit like come on what the fuck is going on oh, okay. Dianetics yeah <laughs> I can imagine that question too they were like bye yeah 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 <laughs> they didn't have any of me yeah. I thought there was going to be the chosen this one this guy knows something. his own mind get <laughs> out um, so 16 is too, too young you think um, yeah I do and I, I think like particularly for somebody who wasn't uh, he didn't have mad uh, social skills yeah like if anything he was isolated even as a child um, I read somewhere that you know he had been sick when he was about nine yeah. and, and the doctors wouldn't let him wouldn't let his mum into him he was isolated he was, mm. he was put away and he was pumped full of mad drugs that they really didn't know what the results were of yeah. like it was, they didn't know there was going to be long term side effects or whatever yeah. and people said he kind of changed a little bit his mum felt like he, well apparently yeah. in his brother's book yeah. um he refers to that. He he says that like his mum kind of thought he definitely he he changed after that, and became much more solitary. Well, he got his PhD in mathematics in 1967 from the University of Michigan, and uh, he became an in, uh, an assistant professor at Berkeley at the age of just 25. Yeah, like that's, that's a young. lot of pressure. And that's young to be teaching other people who are probably older than you. Some are older, and some will be around the same age. But, but you like, want to really have like a to be real, confident. yeah, a real confidence, a real joie de vivre yeah. to really like command the room. And you're talking about Berkeley, like that's yeah. a big room. You're going into an auditorium or, a, or what are they called, a sanatorium? Mm-mm. What are they called? Auditoriums. Uh, no, but not. It's not auditorium. It's like one of the ones that has like the amphitheater. That's oh, it. Okay. Um, yeah, you have like this massive like wall of people's faces, and you're like a socially awkward weird nerd yeah because the thing the thing about teaching is it's performance like it's it's not um like i think traditionally and definitely back then it was like who's the brainiest now you teach the rest of them but that doesn't make like like if somebody has a 168 iq it doesn't make them a fantastic teacher it just makes them really good at figuring out yeah and i think and i'm not just saying this because i'm a bit more stupid than ted (laughs) but i think 
to be a really good teacher, you have to understand what it's like to not be able to understand the material. Yeah. And then have learned it so that you have a passion for going like, I know what it was like to not know. And now I know. Yeah. Now I'm going to help you know. I worked through it. Yeah. Let's do Rather it again. Stop eating your crayons and let's work <laughs> through this. Rather than, um, you know, take your circle of paper and your safety scissors. <laughs> <laughs> um, n- no, but like rather than saying like, oh, um, all of these maths that even the the maths book writers understand are too easy for me why don't i teach all these other people like yeah. like to me that fosters a sense of superciliousness yeah it ends up putting him feeling awkward he gets frustrated and and also he feels like everyone is thick yeah i would imagine so in 1971 after balking in front of a lot of people in in berkeley and not being able to teach uh he decided it was all too much and he moved out to like a primitive cabin out in the woods of montana that didn't have any electricity or any facilities and he tried to live like a pure life away from modern technology and the trappings of the contemporary uh, you know city boy with your you know your file effects and your your toilet paper your button down yeah you're running water uh, but but he like he had some justifiable disdain for modern living and how it was kind of progressing through the 70s. He had seen some shit in the 60s and he was looking at the industrialization of society and, you know, massive uh, uh, manufacturing plants prop- cropping up all over America and people like making jobs and losing jobs and, you know, the, the, the fuel crisis and all these po- all this politics that was going mm. on. It was getting a bit too much for him. And he's one of these like dreamy kids who was a bit, you know, softish. He wasn't able for it all, I think. Mm. Um, Might have been a bit on the spectrum. Ah, aren't we all? Yeah, I guess so. Uh, Between 1978 and 1995, Ted was a naughty boy. He created a huge set of sophisticated bombs and he sent them through the US Postal Service to dozens of people, injuring 23 and killing three people. Um, They were made usually of wood or encased in hardback books, which is pretty impressive. Uh, yeah. he, he, they were sent to businesses, colleges and airlines at first and then to people of note in the academic community. Maybe he had an axe to grind or a, bri- a bridge to burn. No, he had a nose to wipe. What's the term? I don't know where were there any necessarily like was it necessarily that he was saying this person annoyed me that day in the canteen. No, I He's don't think it was. He's getting a bomb. Yeah, I don't think it was like super targeted Targeted. but it was like dudes who were like computer scientists or people who were mathematicians people who were related to the to to the stuff for which he had disdain yes right that was the way i kind of worked i think um but there was no pattern and and i mean if there was usually you know yeah he killed a blonde with big boobies so you just like look around for blondes for blondes with big boobies and uh and then you go yay this is my job (laughs) (laughs) booby hunter (laughs) it's the next one Manhunt, booby hunter. Uh, um, to, to, like, you'd be able to put a pattern together at least. Like, the, like Kaczynski was just killing indiscriminately. Do you know? It wasn't, a, it wasn't a decided thing. He wasn't, like, picking somebody particular or someone who had worked with him. Because then you go, like, well, all these people, what's the connection with all these people? They all work with this one guy. Like, he didn't do it that way. Yeah. Well, he actually, oh, like, I don't mean he only killed three people, yeah. but... Do you think it was Eurasian that he I, I didn't kill more people? I don't think so. We'll talk a little while about the constructions of the bombs and see mm. 
it could have been purposeful or it could have been you know accidental or because he hadn't got as much experience making these types of explosives yeah like he's a boy out in the out in the woods trying to make it from you know stolen car parts and whatever like he wasn't exactly he was a he was a i knew he said he He was a magician he he wasn't (laughs) putting it all on the credit card no he was a mathematician living in a fucking box in the the woods like yeah um so i don't think he was an expert bomb maker uh but the fbi was asked to intervene because ted had tried to blow up a plane which is a federal offense and the fbi were called and they made a task force a unibomb task force to catch him so the unibomb was from the uh, universities and airlines that he tried to so the un for university and a for airline and he tried to uh tried to blow up an american airlines flight they employed state-of-the-art at further time uh, state-of-the-art profiling and forensic techniques to apprehend them but uh, the task force were fruitless for nearly 20 years imagine having yeah, that job but how long was how long were the fbi um, and they're, you know... From 1978 to 1997, so like 19 years. No, what I mean is how long had they been going before that, like the... the 20 years or The more. FBI Behavioural Unit. Oh, well, the Behavioural Unit only started in the mid-60s and they were yeah. profiling people because before that it was all like gumshoe and, you know, mm. smoking cigarettes and just asking everybody at the scene, did you see anything, Shima? Yeah, yeah. Do you know? Um, DNA testing hadn't been invented yet. No. There was no... So state of the art, like everything is state of the art. Back then it was, yeah. Sliced bread and stuff like that. But everything is now as well. Yeah. Anything that's new, I guess. <laughs> so that doesn't mean it's good. Yeah, but I mean, you have these guys who are just like, I got my hunches, see? They're not state of the art. I just They're got this... F- intuition. It's called FBI intuition. I got this trick knee. I got in a football injury. And now every time I hit, I'm next to a murderer, it kind of stings a little bit. Like, that's not state of the art. And then have- I realized the murderer has just shot me. <laughs> in the knee. These guys are like... like proper gumshoes like they're proper dudes who investigate stuff they know people yeah they think they know people anyway and they're going oh yeah well if this is a guy and he you know he 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 stabs people 50 times it must mean he's sexually frustrated right let's like stake out all the places where hookers hang out in the city mm. and then they usually get those guys yeah like that example is probably not a real thing yeah but i was just trying to put something together that yeah sounds but like i a, guess when you're putting like a lot of really good experience of smart people together yeah. in any job then you can kind of skip a few steps to go, well, this usually happens. And, you know, people start to observe patterns. Yeah. And uh, as we talked about, like in the Chikatilo episode and in the Albert Fish episode, like those guys come around once in a blue moon. Do you know, like Chikatilo in Russia, there was nothing like Mm. him ever before. And in fact, that the Russian authorities were in denial that they had a serial killer because the serial killers like American phenomenon, we don't have that in Russia. Do you know? Maybe and they just had a different word for it. Yeah, it was a, in Russian. Mm. And it's just one of those things that, like, they couldn't believe that this Kaczynski guy didn't follow the pattern that every other person does. But that's why he's still famous, but I guess. Also, know? like, he was super smart. Super smart. And he used to send them off on uh, wild goose chases and stuff. We'll talk about that in a little while. Mm. Um, so, to, to get Ted basically in the bag, and this is the, the the quick encapsulation of the Unibomb case, to get Ted in the bag, he was arrested in 1996 at this okay. cabin in the woods. There was hundreds of FBI agents descended on the town of Lincoln, Montana, and his legacy now lives on as one of the most prolific terrorists with the longest uncaptured run in history. Yeah. Even, even Bin Laden didn't get as long. And uh, he is only in competition as one of America's... Uh, uh, I don't know, most Prolific? successful, uh, effective, maybe will you mm-hmm. say effective, effective serial killers, uh, seconded only to uh, the Zodiac Killer. 
Yeah. And uh, was the Zodiac killer ever found? No, but they think it's Ted Cruz, presidential candidate Ted Cruz. You're joking me. There's a there's a there's a like a pretty solid case online that it's Ted Cruz. I mean, it's up to Ted to prove that it's not him. Let's yeah, put there's it that a way. there's a pretty solid case online for a lot of things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, like, where was he when all those murders were being committed? That's what I want to know. I don't think he was born for something. Or he was, like, yeah, seven or something like I? that. where was I? Also, I can't tell you right now because I don't know. <laughs> well, if he was guilty, uh, he only has himself to blame. So Ted was, uh, like, Ted Kaczynski, and I wrote down Ted in all of my notes because Kaczynski is just too difficult to fucking spell. Teddy K, we call him. Teddy K. Ted was a genius. Like, bona fide, proper, top drawer, no aluminium in your vaccines, genius. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a mathematical genius. He was all about them sums. And it, it took the FBI more than 20 years to find him. And he led them all through like clues and red herrings and the bombs. And he had, uh, uh, you know, letters to uh, mainstream media outlets like the New York Post, the New York Times and the Washington Post. And he uh, he would send letters to the FBI, in fact, send a manuscript, a whole big manifesto, they called it, uh, to the FBI and said, like, these are my thoughts this is what i want this is the mm. thing that i want this is my message that i want disseminated and it was like really academic and highfalutin and it was you know a few dozen pages like it's yeah. it's a big i'd say he saw a big document. he saw the three plus 23 was that were those his numbers three people killed and 23 people injured yeah. very seriously injured not just injured like oh my foot. yeah like all your fingers blown off in your yeah, face or and i can't see anymore yeah your face like a burst shopper bag yeah um, maybe he just saw that as a v- relatively small collateral damage. To get the message out. Yeah. And that's what I think when you said, like, did he mean to kill as few people? Mm. I don't think he wanted to kill a lot of people. I think he just wanted to make everyone afraid so they go like, what's the solution? The solution you know? is no internet, no factories, no yeah. industrialization. It seems, yeah, very, it's weird. Mm. It's weird how he put it together. He was the oldest child of a Polish-American couple and he had, a, a, that, that, like Claire said, a childhood illness that his mother felt changed him somewhat. Yeah. And the reports that I was reading online kind of gives him, like, autistic spectrum behaviours. He would be isolated. He wouldn't communicate verbally. He wouldn't make maintain eye contact. Like, they're all symptoms of autism spectrum, right? I, w- I would say they're symptoms of a lot of things. But uh, yeah. yeah, they fit, they fit that. Stuff, but, yeah. I mean, I think, I think people can, you know, they can cut their cloth to fit their pattern yeah. <laughs> there's a saying there I don't know what it is you can cut your cloth to fit your jocks you know but um, it seems it seems like the fact that he was like you know like Rain Man uh, Kim Peek yes. was mad into maths and was all like yeah, yeah definitely yeah 84 mm. like if Kaczynski was showing like a fascination for maths and doing maths all the time and being mm. like a weird lonery non-communicative I definitely think he had he had social skills issues yeah. which are consistent with autism spectrum disorder yeah so and like you know the the high intelligence the difficulty with people and i mean that that was born out as well f- like further you know in in as it went it was taken advantage of even yeah yeah so but also even in terms of like like his brother would have found it difficult his his social issues difficult but he had seen it differently when you're living with it like it's probably uh, easier to get to communicate as anyone that has someone in their family with all, like i don't i've never really dealt on a long-term basis with anyone with autism. Mm. Um, but They're I guess you get different. used... No, I know. Yeah, I've been saying, like, if it's severe autism, you see the stuff, like, 
uh, in Louis Theroux documentaries, you know, and totally yeah. like no, no, no verbal communication yeah. and like self self harm and stuff like that. Yeah. But if you had somebody like Ted who was just a little bit odd for years in Ireland, you yeah. were just called a bit odd. A bit odd, yeah, not to full shilling. Yeah. That was a big one. Uh, a few sandwiches short of a picnic. Yeah. That, yeah. that kind of stuff people would say, yeah. but they wouldn't really go like, this is how you facilitate that person to have a full and meaningful yeah. life, you know? So I think for his whole life, he was left with that uh, feeling of less than, feeling and, of diminutionization. Um, and, and, and isolation. Isolation. Even, and, but, but one thing his brother said that I thought was really interesting was that his, his brother had always looked at Ted as like, you know, God. The pinnacle I, of. Like basically just like, because his brother, like from all evidence was um an extreme empath yeah and definitely showed that in his work throughout his career even after like ted was imprisoned you know spoilers um hashtag spoilers um but like one of the things he says is that like he used to look at his older brother and go God, he's so lucky that he doesn't have to deal with people or doesn't care about them or, you know. Yeah, it's almost like a gift, I would yeah. imagine. Yeah, it depends. Know? Sometimes yeah. I care too much about people. Yeah. Or but what I, people think or how, how to act or whatever. And Ted seemed to not, he was able to operate at a higher level without that. Yeah. Some, somehow. But it seems like, like, like it, did, it, seems like it did affect him. Though. Yeah, when you're dealing with other people who don't know what that is you're obviously going to come across heartbreak and you're going to come across, you know, like social embarrassment and stuff like that. That's and then, and then trauma those, all the way along. And those feelings that are, that are inevitable in your lifetime yeah. are very difficult to deal with if you haven't learned the, the ways to deal with those from, from You don't the have child. the tools to get over it. Yeah, exactly. Some, yeah. some, you're, Art you're, process. You're living into your 20s with some mm. awful shit happening you and you yeah. don't know why or how to fix it or yeah. what to think about it. Like, you can imagine that that would feck somebody up. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean... It might gonna, even fuck them up. I don't even. know. Oh, she said it. She said it. <laughs> I said it. We, we're we're going to get into some weird stuff now. Um, when, Sorry, ma'am. When, <laughs> we're going to get into some weird stuff now when uh, uh, Ted finally goes to Harvard. So in 1958, he joined Harvard. And we all know Harvard. Pack the can, have it yet. Uh, he, he was a student that was taken in a, a, on a scholarship. And he was one of the youngest ever admitted to the college. Yeah. At 16, man. Like, that's too I think, young shit I think he was too young for the class he was in in high school yeah but Not I mean young, young as far as like um, maybe social skills and like no one's going to be a mathematical genius and the Fonz yes like that's not going to happen yeah right? unless you're Matt Damon in um yeah how that, about them apples that film yeah good good good, good Willy good yeah good free Willy good hunting for hunting for good Willy yeah <laughs> Any Friday night uh, for most of the girls out there. Yeah, and that's why my IQ is in one six eight. <laughs> I was hunting for good Willie. <laughs> uh, but it's it's one. Of, at least you could get a good job as a, a you know a caretaker no. custodian. <laughs> um, so it's it's the thing where like he has the he has gift on one side and a debilitating. You know, it's like when people say, uh, "Oh yeah, he's blind, but he has like super hearing." Mm. You know, you, you lose one sense and the other ones grow. Uh, this thing with Ted where. He may have been too young for the class that he was in, mm. but on paper and what people are looking at, and when you look at what the manifesto is all about, which is industrialization and how shitty it is, you look at the education system and how industrialized it is. 
Yeah. And maybe that was the whole thing. Educating in batches based on your year of production. Yeah, that's all it is. It's not yeah. based on ability or it's not based on... Thank you, on, Sir Ken Robinson. Yeah, I put a video of that Ken Robinson uh, uh, lecture up, mm. on, up on the website. It's TED class. Talk, I think. It's a yeah. TED Talk and it's mm. animated and it's class. Mm. And it, exam- it, like, it gives a really good example of how the education system is broken. And this is the thing that let TED down, I think, because... They went like, okay, he was manufactured in this year, but he's performing like somebody who's like way better and older and more gifted. So like, let's just hurry the situation up and put him into an adult situation with adults. Yeah. When he was socially and like cognitively not able to process those experiences, those types of uh, like great at maths, but just not good at knowing when everybody in the room is like making fun of you or something. Yeah. Because he and wasn't I mean, able to. You know? Like you would think like now, I suppose, with what we know, to me, it'd be like, leave him out of Harvard for another couple of years and put him into advanced social skills classes for yeah. two years. But or make him do he'd... other things that, that he would never choose himself because then yeah. it would make him more rounded and more confident in general, you know. Like you don't lose that gift of 167 IQ mm, and being great no. at maths. You don't lose it. But who knew at the time? And maybe it was yeah. just like, quick, just like, let's harvest this young lad. He's got great head. Let's yeah. fucking get, get all those sums out of his head and make sure that he uh, he yeah. makes us money or he works for NASA or he does some shit like that's, yeah. you know, super important for the government. We need the best of the best. And it's in the middle of the Cold War. And there is like a massive neoliberalist movement, like a capitalization on uh, uh, resources that the US had. Mm. And in the eyes of the academic community, Ted Kaczynski's mind was a resource yeah. that they wanted to mine and that's something that people don't talk about I know when we're talking about these murderers and, and killers and all these dudes that we try and give a little bit of background that sounds like we're kind of justifying their actions but you have to look at it that way for for everything do you know there's a lot of people going like oh Trump this and Hillary that like mm. why are they doing the things that they're doing what what's the motivations behind it like is a bad thing really a bad thing if it's justified, sure, but can you excuse it or can you forgive it? Can you forget about it and move on if you're able to understand why it happened rather than just going, that's a bad thing. Like, I think it's much better to try and figure out why it's done so it doesn't happen again. Yeah. Could there be another Unabomber? Fucking absolutely. Absolutely. Another young disaffected youth who decides to turn against society? Like, Mm. of course, man. Do you know? It's going to get weird. Yeah, I, I think we've had a few of them, except they didn't make bombs because that's yeah. too hard. They joined. They, joined they just like, bought guns. Maybe, yeah, they mm. did that. But yeah, bombs are hard. Guns well, are bombs are tough. Guns are easy, like you the know, Columbine lads. Yeah, yeah. If you if you uh, like an IQ that's a, a bit lower, say 50, 60, 70 points lower than that. Yeah, just buy a gun. What's five little points? <laughs> your mama sure does love your schooling, son. But the, the relationship that he had with his with his students when he finally qualified from Harvard, he got his doctorate from the University of Michigan, uh, and then he moved to Berkeley to become an assistant professor. Like, he's standing up in front of dozens, maybe hundreds of people in the big amphitheater, shiting all over himself. I was reading reports that said uh, he was weird and creepy. He was reported to be weird and creepy. Mm. Uh, he couldn't connect with individuals or even with a group. He avoided one-on-one assistance at all costs and he gave awful, mumbling, incoherent lectures. Uh, There were many complaints made to the college and some say he was too smart for the students and he was one of the most gifted mathematicians in America, but explaining maths to people who didn't understand frustrated him so much that he just quit. Ha. 
That's what the quote's about. And that's, and that's my point, exactly. Yeah. Mad, like. You know, I mean, like, and also the first thing you have to do as a teacher is to get the respect of the people you're teaching. That's number one. Build a relationship with them. Walk Even- in in a leather jacket, <laughs> turn the chair around and sit <laughs> with your arms folded on the back of the chair and be like, what's up? And then say, who wants a chicken? A, a whole one. one. And then do the Dylan I Dylan mean, contest and then go over to the guy's house and make sure he doesn't get shot. And then everybody sings, oh, happy day. Yeah. Oh, that's a different film. Yeah. But that's what you have but to that do. But was, that was my diploma in education was like half of Sister Act 2 and half of Dangerous Minds. And then <laughs> here's your diploma, you're a teacher. That's how they do it. Yeah. That's how it's done in Ireland. Uh, we have the, the Whoopi Goldberg inaugural teacher's course. The Whoopi Pfeiffer. Whoopi Hello. slash Pfeiffer, sorry. So yeah, like Ted's mother spoke about it afterwards. His brother spoke about him afterwards. And they actually considered, seriously considered, putting him in a school for autistic children. And the only reason they didn't put him in there and he would have got the proper care was because it would be too restrictive for his uh, mathematical talents because they had lads like putting... You know, get the round thing and put it in the round thing. Do the color blue and the color blue. Yeah, they but I'm assuming had, they made they met the needs of their students. They also had a guy who was the uh, the principal, yeah. and they said they met him, and he was so abrasive, and he had such little regard for oh. the students that were in his school. They was just like, put him in here. I'll just tie him up all day, and yeah, so when maybe you come maybe they wouldn't have given him the support. Yeah, that's yeah. the thing. So he was a shy child. His mother said, uh, and then a shy man. And he was held as an outsider for the majority of his life from everyone in the many clubs and societies that he was involved with in high school, in Harvard, in uh, University of Michigan and everywhere else. An outsider, a weirdo, a creepo. Odd. Odd as fuck. Like that is unfortunate that you couldn't just be if you're odd. There's a lot of odd. Guarantee there's a lot of odd bastards listening to this show. Like odd as they come. Hello, There's some you odd, odd bastards making the show. Sure, I'm really odd. P.S. I'm not one of them. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Claire. That narrows it down. Yeah. But like... There's two people in the room. Yeah, we're all odd. <laughs> like, it happens. I know, everybody's odd if you look at it. Like, it's all yeah. relative. But... Imagine, um, if only he could do a podcast, he would have just not sent all those bombs, man. There, there's a lot of things, if only... Like, yeah. if only he engaged with half the stuff he was against. It might. He might not have been as against it. Yeah. Well, we go through some of the stuff in the manifesto, and yeah. I tell you, uh, you could have a modern day Unabomber on your hands at any at any point here, because as well, like security and and, and all the stuff in airports, like is all so tight now, and and they have like hugely expensive technology that will you know scan all the parcels and everything's done automated now, so you probably yeah. couldn't get away the same way. Yeah, interesting um, story. I I my friend sent. Um, I I worked in a youth project at one point and, and the young people made um, St. Patrick's Day cards and they used clover and like Oh shamrock. yeah, shamrocks. And they, you know, like kind of dried them and then painted them gold or, you know, and green and stuck them onto cards and um, one of my friends, Gwen, hi Gwen, uh, she went to, to send one to her friend in Australia and like that like so St. Patrick's Day is March 17th like maybe in the summer she got an email from her friend saying thanks for the card it would have cost me $50 (laughs) to get it from the whatever the customs the import next yeah yeah. 
so she was like they sent me a photocopy of it so thanks but uh, all <laughs> I wasn't paying $50 to get your card it all has to be quarantined that's because there was yeah. a bit of flora and fauna which she didn't even consider when she was sending it she just thought yeah. oh this is nice and a reminder of home well if you've ever watched uh, bo- like border security or yeah I think it was before declare, before those programs were on yeah, everywhere yeah that program is just Asian people trying to get weird food into Australia that's what it should be called and it'll get way more viewers yeah, or traces of cocaine much? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That should it's be mad. the um I just the want, follow-up program. I, I just want to bring in this bat wing. I have bat wing, I make it in the oven, it's like it's like a chips. I just wanna okay, two hundred dollars, okay. But they bring in thousands of dollars worth of stuff and then and then they get a fine and they're all like, ah, uh, maybe I'll get through next time, no problem. You're like fucking hell man. But yeah, like the the way uh apparently because mm-hmm. the UNA bomber uh, tried to put a parcel onto American Airlines plane. Uh, that's why we have all the checks that we have at the airport now, which is like, did you pack your bag yourself, sir? It was the bag out of your out of your possession or out of your eyesight for any length of time, sir. Like all of that stuff coming up to nine eleven, mm. any airport checks or any of those questions, they all came from the Unabomber. Wow! Because he was like going trying to find the weaknesses like the raptors in jurassic park like testing the fence trying to find the weaknesses to go if i send it in the post it's going to get sent as long as it doesn't have any like you know mad like something ticking or uh, when you shake it something moves yeah. so he fixed it up so that it wouldn't or the digital time going <laughs> yeah. down that you can see through the envelope yeah you're like hey this is mm. this ticking 17 16 <laughs> 15 but it just seems like uh, you know uh, advantage could be taken of another system and yeah. there's a lot of people online that are able to get in and do a lot of damage mm. uh, they're not blowing anybody's fingers off but they're taking away a lot of people's money or livelihood or businesses or holding stuff to ransom and hostage yeah and it's a lot more readily available to a lot of people to hack into stuff you know maybe we don't need to send bombs through the post anymore that was just what was done in the 70s and it was um, it was ahead of its time. Yeah. State of the art, some might refer to it. Exactly. Mm. Uh, so before we go any further, uh, I just want to say thanks to Audible for supporting those conspiracy guys and giving our audience a chance to get a 30-day free trial with a free audiobook. All you have to do is visit audible.com slash TCG or text TCG to 500-500 now and listen to a huge library of amazing audiobooks. If you love the length of our show and you want to keep yourself entertained for long periods of time, say while you're on your way to work, or even when you're in work, you know who you are, uh, or you want to listen to your favourite authors read their work from an unmatched selection of titles, then you definitely should be on Audible. There's loads of class stuff on it. All the times when you don't have an episode of those conspiracy guys to get you through your commute or while cleaning the house or, you know, when you're sitting around, you can listen to exclusive original audio shows or a huge range of news, comedy, books, magazines and loads more performances from well-known entertainers and amazing narrators. For our TCG audience, Audible is offering a free book and a free 30-day trial and all you have to do is head to audible.com TCG from your laptop browser, pick a book that you like, download it to your computer or mobile device and away you go. Or you can text 500-500 to begin your 30-day free trial and you get a book for free to listen to. For free! Uh, you can search by book title or author and there are collections and recommendations for whatever you're into. I recently downloaded The Call of the Weird, uh, Travels in American Subcultures, written and read by Louis Theroux. And it's a great insight into Louis' travels in the US while making his award-winning documentary series, Louis Theroux, uh, Weird Weekends. I love a bit of Louis. Love Louis. I love his voice. And I love his documentaries. Have you ever heard him sing? No. 
It's class. <laughs> he doesn't sing on this book now, however, but he he does talk about like it's kind of like a self examination of what, like why he does the things he does, and it gives an entirely new perspective to me, who's like a longtime fan since the nineties, uh, to what those documentaries were and like they're, they're some of my favorites ever mm. and he's given information that you can't see really on the screen he's talking about like yeah. behind the scenes stuff or what this guy said and i've recently rewatched them all in preparation for our american trip mm. and trying to kind of like put a handle on it louis really gives this uh, a nice background if you've ever watched those documentaries and you want some extra stuff on it uh, get that uh, call of the weird travels in american subcultures and claire have you got a book that you recommend from audible yeah um i loved the psychopath test Ah, the Ronson. Yeah, I wanted to check where you won or not. <laughs> you were close, but no cigar. Yeah, I'm not bona fide. Yeah. But, but that's read and written yes. by John Ronson. Yeah, and it's so... It reads himself. It's so um, interesting. I really like um, a book that's read by the author. Yeah, because they put the right inflection yeah. on it. Russell Brand has a couple of really good yeah. ones on there as well. Um, yeah, really class stuff. Mm. And uh, what's what's the psychopath test then? What, what's in it? Um, yeah, so John Ronson in um, the psychopath test, he's it starts um, like I usually it takes me a while to get into a book, but it's yeah. really interesting because it starts with a, a book like a cryptic puzzle that he's been asked to help solve, and then he ends up just going on this mad like journey um he ends up in broadmoor um he visits this guy who who's a prisoner in broadmoor and and you know is claiming to have faked his way in yeah. and now can't get out yeah. and it's just it's a real like it just keeps you know, like you're like oh i want to do more dishes <laughs> <laughs> because i want to hear more you know yeah. like i used to find you're yourself sitting, sitting in the do. car in the driveway um yeah i just i've I found it really really interesting like i'm madly interested in that kind of stuff yeah and John Ronson has the, the, the whole complement of stuff there Men of Stare at Goats and yeah, all his books and all yeah. that there. and he had done he had done the a course in in like assessing people for oh, psychopathy yeah. himself and what I loved about it is the whole way through the book he keeps noting um, elements that he meets himself you know which yeah. is just very entertaining I, I, I'd nearly be afraid to do that test though <laughs> So if you download a book and you don't like it for any reason, don't worry. You can exchange it for any title, any time, no questions asked. Uh, the mobile app is great for browsing the bestseller lists or trying to find, you know, someone recommends you a book. You just pull out your phone, you, you put it onto your wish list. And then the next time you're at a computer, you can click on it and download it. No hassle. You can get updates on new releases and then you can flip through the huge back catalog as well. Uh, all the classics are there. All the new stuff is there. It's all in the little uh, categories and stuff. So it's a really, really great app that you can use to listen to the downloaded audiobooks as well. So you get a credit each month. So if you haven't finished that Moby Dick, which is takes, takes a good long while, uh, don't worry. So you can roll over into next month and you can get a, a different book then. So they all accumulate. Uh, I think I have like 28 books from, from these credits every month. Um, some of them I haven't finished. I've got like Sapiens and I've got a couple of Russell Brand jobs. Mm. And, like you can leave them over, you can have them. And the value on some of those more expensive audiobooks is great. So you're getting it for the subscription price but it could be worth like five times that uh, for one credit and the books are yours to keep even if you cancel your membership they're yours to keep forever so that's class yeah all you have to do is head to audible.com slash tcg in your computer browser to show your support for our show or text tcg to 500 500 and get a 30-day free trial with a free audiobook included that's a-u-d-i-b-l-e dot com slash tcg 
or text 500-500 to get a 30-day free trial and a free book. Thanks to Audible for supporting our show. They've been great for us as a small Irish podcast, and I really want to thank them sincerely. Thanks, Audible. So with 10 of 16 of Ted's bombs sent to educational institutions, it was clear that he had a problem with higher learning, and it could well have come from wait for it experiments that were performed on him in harvard by dr henry a murray in the psychology department it was part of an operation by the office of strategic services which is the oss the precursor to the cia that we've talked about in the mk ultra episode mm. uh, get ready and during the years 1958 to 1962 ted agreed and signed contracts and everything to be the subject of what was classed as a psychological experiment at Slash 16 fucking people up yeah big all time. you needed was um a permission slip signed by the parent yeah. that they didn't understand and they, and they they filled them up full of drugs they did loads of experiments like really but they made weird. The, they made like it seems like or the way it was depicted yeah it seemed like they made them feel really special in the same way that I've referred to earlier on, which is, say, any group of people taking advantage of vulnerable yeah. people and like, you know, um, identifying the vulnerable slash isolated people and going, they're perfect for it. Like ethics, there wasn't a question of ethics in that. In Not that. at all, but it was That's the, terrible. It was the 60s, man. Anything goes, right? Yeah, but like to call yourself a I know, doctor. I know. Well, this is the thing. Murray died in 1988, so he didn't get to realise what the gravity of his actions were in the creation of Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber. Mm. Uh, but his work with Freud's father figure assertions and his work with personality theory that were making waves in the 30s got the attention of the OSS and the US military. Uh, and at the start of the war, he was tasked with training agents for interrogation and finding suitable candidates for service and going out and finding lads who could be spies and then bringing them in and going, ah, oh, shall you think you could be a spy, huh? And then running them through all of the enemies, like uh, interrogation techniques and mm. the real hard shit that they go through. And if they didn't break, then he's like, okay, you can go and be James Bond. Yeah. Like that was this guy all through the 40s and 50s. And as Operation Paperclip roared out through the United States in the 1940s that we know from our Operation Paperclip episode, yeah. exactly the, the, the limitations and the, the reach that that had. Mm. It, it, like he came to a specific skill set that was fringe and experimental when it came to like manipulating people's minds, knowing how stuff worked in the human brain, being able to get into somebody and almost immediately being able to take like mind control. Yeah, but to do it on kids like, in college is yeah, probably unfair. I just, it makes me sick. They needed clean. They needed clean, like unfettered oh, experiments. Maybe, maybe they should no, have. I know, but that's what Operation children. Paperclip was doing. They were going into they were going into concentration camps and, and doing tests on people, like working with mind control substances like fluoride and and you know, know. psilocybin and stuff like that. I and, know, but in a concentration camp, you know you're going to be fucked with. When you're going to Harvard at 16 and some one one person who calls yeah. themselves a doctor who's claiming, you know, to be a professional, who's giving you... But um, it wasn't just him, though, Claire. A listening ear. Whoever. The team. I know. It's a terrible tragedy. Yeah. It's travesty against Ted Kaczynski. It's shocking. And it's not surprising that he ended up being a mental, living in a box in the forest, sending bombs to people in the post. Although, probably the other people that it was done to didn't do that. Yeah, but they could have, like, committed suicide or... Yeah. Done, like, self-harmed or just been psych drugs. psychotic drugs. Well, uh, the, 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 the lads in the OSS 
wanted to take on Murray and see what he was able to do. And they shared their secrets with a guy called Sidney Gottlieb, who was the the guy at the, uh, who was in charge of the whole OSS uh, operation for for MK Ultra and uh, uh, other MK operations. Like he was the the big boy. And these Harvard students were fed doses of LSD and other hallucinogens like psilocybin. And then they were experimenting on. And Gottlieb was the one who, if, you, if you've watched the TV show Wormwood, he was the one who famously administered Frank Olsen, that massive heroic dose of LSD, just before Olsen flung himself from a high-rise window in a hotel in New York. Mm. And that tale goes on then in Wormwood to tell about how the family weren't told for 20 years exactly properly what happened. And then they sued the the, the CIA and stuff mm. like Like Wormwood is a really good one to watch because it's part dramatization and part uh, like documentary interview. Yeah. So it's really class. So another man, Stanley Glickman, uh, descended into psychosis from these, uh, these Gottlieb experiments. Uh, and Gottlieb dosed his drink and he went into psychosis and his life was ruined. Mm. And he had to sue the CIA. He's like, you're at like, I'm actually mental. They put so much LSD. He was stoned for like a week, tripping yeah. balls for a week. And he couldn't, like he wasn't, he was mush when he came out of it. It took him years to rehabilitate and stuff like that. There's a video on YouTube and I put it up on the website as well. Like Stanley Glickman got wrecked by Gottlieb. And it was this thing we talked about in the MK Ultra episode where they just go around the office and just be like, who are we going to get today? Go on, get, get, get Glickman there. And they just be like bloimp, and then they go, "See you tomorrow, Stanley." And Stanley's like, "Why? Oh fuck, lads, are you after dot? Oh!" And he, j- they just watch him. They'd be like, "Okay, you're gonna have to go into isolation now, and people are gonna watch you." And they put him in there, and they did all this uh, experiments with like wall of sound or like flashing lights, strobe lights, and they did all these like that mad, is just so uh, not inhuman, okay. inhuman experiments. But sure, that's how they did it to make it work. Yeah, like. and 50 years later, people are going mental if that's done to rats. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think if Ted hadn't been uh, the Unabomber, would he be able to now claim against the CIA? Would he be able to claim against the American government and say, hey, you wrecked my head. I had to go and live in a box in the woods for years because uh, you... you you gave me loads of LSD against my will and then I don't know I'd say that's a F off have a case like maybe that's why they set him up as the Unabomber and put him in jail so he wouldn't have a case maybe yeah. or did they set him up ooh we'll talk about it later but Murray got all the students in this program the way he got them in he mm. got them to write a, their, a set of essays that detailed their hopes and dreams and then their fears and failures and their yeah. childhood histories and what they thought about their mothers yeah. and all and then of this. And utilised like, all that information, all this intimate information to take advantage of it. Sure, well, that's how you do it if you're trying to control somebody's mind, right? You're a confidence yeah. trickster. So they were taken to a room and electrodes were attached to their heads and they were subjected to extremely personal attacks uh, using all this information that they'd given them. Uh, there was brutal commentary on themselves personally using... Uh, uh, relatives and the the stories that were in these essays going like oh your mother never loved you and all that the fears that they had like their their uh what would you call them their their base insecurities that they're yeah your mother their, like their your psychosis. mother asked us to like never to let you out or yeah. you know and all the all the neuroses that she people said you had, were like, a weirdo <laughs> yeah yeah all the stuff that you fear that's never said but especially somebody said like, that, like ted skazinski would have feared because the yeah. only people in the world that he felt probably loved him were his mom and his brother. Yeah. And if 50% of that group was being questioned, 
that by, was by someone who's revered as a doctor in Harvard and that and, he trusted. Yeah. That's going to knock your confidence because uh, it shows it in the TV show that he really made friends with him. I've read it. He really sidled up to Ted because he's like, oh, young meat. How did he get into this college yeah. so early? And they just got like there's no he's such thing child. as he's a minor or anything. They're like yeah. brilliant, fresh brains. Let's go. But he groomed him for uh, like months and months and months and then hit him at the end. And it's such a, like the team in the show, uh, uh, the Unabomber show on Netflix is like, Ted was let down again and again and again by life, by people, by institutions, by the government, by, you know, by college, by friends, by family. Uh, It was always rejection, 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 rejection. And it wasn't even always rejection. It was, it was just that he so couldn't cope with even small rejections. Disappointments and... Yeah. Yeah. So... it's He spiraled out, you know? Yeah. Yeah, very... like, And it's emotional when you watch that scene play out uh, in the TV show. You're like, oh, man. I find it deeply disturbing. Fucked. Fucked? Yeah. I'd hate to have it happen to me. Imagine that shit. Mm. Well, when Ted actually did begin making the bombs. So he, he, he started way back before he was called the Unabomber, obviously. And his first mail bomb was sent to a, a person called Buckley Christ, who was an engineering professor at Northwestern University. And on the 25th of May, 1978, Christ found a package in the parking lot and it had return on it and it had his name. So he's like, what? I didn't send anything. Why well, has it got returned to my name? Uh, brought it back into the office, gave it to a security guard for the college called Terry Marker. And while he was shuffling, uh, uh, Chris was shuffling papers at his desk, Terry Marker opened the package, slid the little thing out, and it blew up and blew his hand in bits. Imagine. Like a bag of pumpkin seeds. I wonder, did that guy, um, Terry Marker, think that Chris had done it to him? Oh, yeah. And was like, you. You. Is that because I ate your sandwich? (laughs) It had my name on it, Terry. (laughs) Well, the components for this bomb would be uh, similar, although more powerful in future bombs from Ted. But th- this bomb that Chris had was a metal pipe. It was about an inch in diameter and nine inches long. Uh, so d- like dildo size. <laughs> uh, it was filled with smokeless explosive power. Much like a dildo. <laughs> <laughs> I misspoke. I said powder, but I, I, I loved where you were like, hmm. <laughs> smokeless explosive power <laughs> much like a dildo much indeed. like a good dildo yeah 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 the best I should ones. qualify it uh, the bomb was pretty much handcrafted from wood and the, the ends too were handcrafted so uh, I don't know if you know about a pipe bomb but you put the stuff into the pipe and then you close the two ends and then when you ignite whatever is in it the pressure builds up in the pipe and it explodes and whatever else is in the pipe with the explosive the, um, substance uh, it just explodes out everywhere. So if there's shrapnel in it, if there's bits of aluminium, or if there's, you know, small small bits ball bearings, bits of glass, any any kind of shrapnel. But what you have to do is have a tight seal around either end. This is not the anarchist cookbook, right? I'm just telling you how the yeah, fucking thing you're works. You're giving right? a bit of information there. So you seal it at either end and it builds up the pressure. But is what there some happens, kind of disclaimer you should be including? I know the lads know they're frantically scribbling it down, going back for seconds. Rewind. I'm not good at making pipe bombs. And uh, they, they had these two little plugs on the end that should be metal. Sometimes they're, they're welded. Uh, but Ted had made them wooden and just p- p- ponged them in like a, an artisanal wine bottle topper. Sure, he was so good at the old measurements. Yeah, he loved, uh, loved a bit of wood turning. Now, yeah. you said earlier on, did he, did he mean to kill people? Mm. And it would say to me, if you're putting like, if you're making handcrafted 
wooden ended uh dildo sized and shaped pipe bespoke. bombs bespoke pipe bombs <laughs> Uh, that you'd want to be killing people if you wanted to, and you'd know how not to if you didn't want to. So by putting wooden ends on either side, you're kind of getting away with it a bit. Do you know? Do you mean by putting wooden ends on it, he, he was saying, I just want to damage and get yeah. attention. He was re- reducing the power of the... Like, if you yeah. were... The pressure in the bomb wouldn't be as strong. And he didn't want to annihilate people. Exactly. Yeah. The trigger inside the bomb was a rubber band, and it was attached, like, weirdly to a mechanism that would ignite six match heads... And then combust the powder inside. So when you pulled it out of the thing, you pull like it out of the... rubber band. Yeah. I don't know why that song just went into my Because I said rubber band. But you pull the box out of the envelope. Yeah. And the rubber band would pull on the matches. The matches would pull along the strike powder. And come uh, bouncing strike, back to you. The strike <laughs> the strike pad. And the strike pad flamed and would ignite the explosive powder inside the pipe. And the pipe would explode. So it's all done in one move. And it... Hmm. But he didn't want it to kill him. If he had to put metal ends on the pipe, it'd kill everybody in the room. So I think maybe he did just want to injure people from the start. Yeah. And the first few bombs were very weak. Now, maybe he's just not great at making bombs. Or maybe he just wanted to blow a lad's hand off or make a make a scene for the paper. Yeah. Like, it's up to you, audience. Do you think that he maybe wanted to start slow and grow bigger? Attention? Yeah, I mean, there's no point in like doing an Oklahoma City on your first run because you'll get caught straight away and you won't be able to do any more kind of a thing, you know. Mm. So maybe he tried to maybe try to do it low. Uh, later on, instead of using matches and stuff like that that could have been compromised because of weather or conditions, he used uh, a more sophisticated battery-powered filament to do the heating, uh, which would explode the uh, combustibles inside of the bombs later on. But that battery was triggered by some kind of movement or some kind of, you know, like a Indiana Jones type trap where you yes. pull the thing out of a paper and it goes, the, the heat, hit, the filament that hit the battery, the electricity go through the filament, heat up like the inside of a light bulb. Yeah. And then the, the, that it touched the, the combustible material and kablamo. Weird, like how, uh, how we started off small and got so massive as well, you know? Yeah. Um, so this first bomb to Christ was followed by others that were sent to airline officials. And uh, in 1979, the one that kind of gave him the Unabomber name, uh, ended up in a hold of an American Airlines Flight 444 from Chicago to Washington, D.C. And uh, it didn't explode, but it was discovered later on because the ignition mechanism didn't account for the pressure in the cabin during the flight and uh, it didn't go off. Do, so, you think, do you think, did he feel like he failed an exam? I think he was happy enough that everyone shit themselves. Right. Now, the conspiracy guy in me is saying the whole thing could possibly be a massive, long, drawn-out 9-11 situation where anonymous, totally DNA-free and evidence-free bombs are being sent in the post, right? Uh-huh. To everybody. And then they as end a up false flag. as a false flag to be able to control airline flights, to be able to control post, to be able to control movement of packages state to state, because there's no way that someone is just going to come up with some law that restricts everybody's freedom of movement and have everyone in America in 1971, like in the middle of the Vietnam War, when everyone's going like, man, this is America, the land of the free, like we're not, you know, nothing's. We don't want to get fucked on here because we're already getting fucked abroad. Uh, you're not going to take away our freedoms to be able to do whatever we like and cross state lines and do all this kind of stuff. So 
they needed a problem reaction solution situation. So the conspiracy theorist in you thinks that the MK Ultra that they performed on him in Harvard Yard yeah. triggered him to he do He could have this. been possibly a Manchurian candidate or indeed the MK Ultra program and could have just made him want to go out and live in the woods and be an oddball for years while they used his identity as they did with uh, Lee Harvey Oswald before him and make multiple versions of Ted Kaczynski who goes out and does the thing and goes, I just put a bomb in this uh, post office box here and my name is Ted Kaczynski. Remember that? And then yeah, but he off. didn't do that. I know he didn't do that, but like the the general concept of that. Like he was going to these, yeah. like it said that he came from Montana and got on a bus and drove to San Francisco to put a fucking thing in a letterbox and then go back to Montana. He never admitted to that. Like he did technically in court say he was guilty, but he never admitted to doing it that way. That was the only way that yeah. the FBI could come up with it working. I'm going to argue with it there and go, sometimes people do crazy shit. Yeah, sometimes they do. But this is such a massively like landmark yeah, but someti- case. Yeah, but sometimes things I know, happen I know. that have effects that end up like that end up that we're like you know that's that because of that yeah and that's what the conspiracy theory is kind of that scratches that itch where you're going it's totally unexplainable and i'm emotionally like unsettled by it it's just a conspiracy and you just like wipe it from the arsehole of your mind yeah whereas i'm like with the tissue paper of comfort people can be that fucked up anyway and then if they've themselves been fucked with a few times in their life and they have difficulty with dealing with that now i've cursed too many times on the show (laughs) But, um, you know, they can, that, that can happen. That well, kind of thing can happen. a hundred people could have died that day with that bomb in the, in the hold of the plane, the American Airlines flight, mm. right? And since that, like I said, uh, like airlines from 1979 until like 1997 were inextricably changed. Yeah. Like you watch all those uh, uh, movies, like the, the, the plane movies where people are just like getting on and off the plane and people are smoking and people are, you know. It's like, Jesus. Or where people were always able to run onto the plane to say, I love you. (laughs) And I'm like, how much did you pay for that ticket? Because you wouldn't have got on that plane unless you did. Yeah, it was kind of like a, it was kind of like a cottage industry. Whereas now, like you can only be at the very front of the airport going, I love you. If I don't tell you now, I won't get anywhere closer. And the then, and then that person has to like regret it all the way around through the security line, or they're taking yeah. off their shoes and doing through the, the slow yeah. kind of not escalator walkie path thing. Yeah, the what tra- are they called? The travelator. Oh yeah, where you're walking a slight bit faster than if you're walking on ground. But actually, there's so many people on it that don't move out of the way that you're quicker on ground. <laughs> yeah, going mm. along like Casey Neistat on a boosted board past them all. Yeah, but it just seems like the conspiracy theory where he was set up. And he is like a loner in a forest making bombs. It's very convenient if the government wanted to scare everybody into cooperation to give away all their freedoms around the postal service and around airlines and around state to state travel and around, you know, all of those kind of all of those kind of laws are made. Like the other way you look in the laws and it's like, you shall not carry a full grown chicken down Main Street on the 1st of September of the new year. Like. Those laws that are archaic and they're all in the, the charters of like towns all across America. Yeah. There was some cunt that walked down Main Street with a chicken under his arm one day and caused some hassle. And a judge went, I do decree. And he hit the gavel. And now you're not allowed to have a chicken on Main Street in the 1st I of know, September. But that's not because the government made <sighs> a man walk down Main Street with a chicken. I know. It's because a man actually walked down Main Street with a chicken. It's, it's a two sided sword. It's a double edged sword is what I'm saying. It could be that. 
or it could I'm be just, the government telling yeah, the chicken yeah. I'm just playing on the sympathies of, of, uh, of Ted Kaczynski going like maybe it wasn't I know like I know I know all of that and it's know? not that I completely disagree with you I just have to argue my point sure I understand what you're saying like he oh, totally possibly do you have a 168 IQ should, <laughs> 144 actually so it's not as good as Ted Kaczynski but I don't it's that extra 20 that makes you make bombs um, <laughs> so he sent 24 bo- <laughs> 4 little points <laughs> <laughs> oh, Mama sure does love your schooling. Ted sent all these bombs through the US Postal Service, uh, or he placed them in situ himself somehow, and we don't know why, and that's why I'm saying that it could be other people. Because if he's in a fucking box in Montana, he's not going to bus from, to San Francisco every two weeks. But there was bombs made from pipes inside packages with wooden triggers, and even inside a hollowed out book, which was pretty impressive. Uh, he left one can type bomb with a file folder on top of it in an office, inside an office block. And uh, when the folder was lifted up for inspection, yeah. the can exploded and uh, that was one of the guys that died. And it was one of the more powerful ones towards yeah. the end of the campaign. Like it's, it's, you know. That would suggest that's that. Bra- that's brazen. Yeah. That, that he carried it himself and walked in and put the thing and set all, and nobody saw him and he was able to get in and get out. And Yeah. That, that would suggest though that he was like feeling very invincible. Yeah. Or a government agent in a suit could have done it and he wouldn't have been suspected because he looked like a normal business person walking around an office block rather than a totally unkempt uh, aluminium filament stained hairy fucking mountain man he was who well, lives he in a box. He lived by the river. He was well able to get a shower. Uh, if you saw a fella who lived in a box in the woods walking around in your office, would you be like, how are you? I'd when, be like, when, when beards you, are so hot right now. When did you start? You must be a hipster. Like, what's the yeah, fucking Yeah, I'd be like, come here, do you know where the best coffee place is? Because you're <laughs> such a big hipster, hadn't you? <laughs> well, there was a, there was a specific uh, uh, bomb that was set in front of uh, a parking lot in a, compu- a computer store in Sacramento. And it had a nail and metal shard loaded uh, explosive device. Uh, and it, it blew up and it it blew up worker Gary Wright's arm and put 200 pieces of shrapnel in oh, him. Oh, yeah. It was a little box and it had four nails pointing upwards. Mm. And Gary went out and went, what's this box? And he picked it up and... Yeah. Blew his whole left arm off in bits. Like, you can understand like why... Rag. If there's only a phone call about a suggestion of a bomb, why people would be like, get away. Yeah. Now. Yeah. But also, it's a really convenient way to clear out a place that's usually full of uh, people when you need to do something secretive, should you need to. That is a theory that you will posit. Yeah. I mean, if you need to get someone on or off a plane that doesn't want to be seen by the public and you just go, bomb scare in the airport. Burp, burp, burp. Or actually not wanting your arm blown off because there's an actual threat of a bomb. Yeah, it could be that too. Yeah. Could be that too. Uh, well, after being seen in the parking lot in Sacramento by a worker, this famous sketch artist made a, made a sketch of the Unabomber and it went into the newspaper. And this is the one we see everywhere. He has the hood yeah. up and he has a mustache and he has the aviators and whatever. And Ted kind of shot himself a little bit, it seems, because he, he didn't make anything or make any moves. There wasn't a peep out of him for six years yeah. until he resurfaced to send a bomb to David Galerter who was a computer science professor at Yale University. And this bomb had a note inside of it and basically blamed Galerter and his nerdy kind for the ruination of society with their techno babble. 
that was kind of this like, ah, oh, you and your goddamn computers have a bomb. Even though if he'd just bloody embraced the computers, he'd have made a mint. He could have made a website like the Heaven's Gate and got a lot of followers. Not even that. He'd have made a mint with his maths genius and yeah. algorithms and all that crap. But it was the principle of the thing. Though, I know, right? I know. He's a principled I man. I know. And Living in a box in he the could woods. Spread, <laughs> he could spread his message on the very thing that he disagreed with. Yeah, I think he he missed a trick. Yeah. He missed a trick. Um, the bombs themselves then, as time went on, became more sophisticated and powerful. And they have, the FBI had absolutely zilcho evidence as far as forensics was concerned. Yeah. Like, no DNA, nothing to identify Ted or put all the bombs together even from the same person. They're like, yeah, it's made the same way, but was it definitively the same person? Mech, who knows? Yeah. You know? uh, Ted would leave these false clues as well, and he played little games with the FBI inside the bombs, which was really their only evidence. That was all that was left. Uh, he would overstamp them with big $1 Eugene O'Neill stamps. Then he started leaving indestructible parts, little small discs and little small bits of metal inside that were marked FC. Uh, and then he left pieces of wood and branches and, and twigs and stuff. Uh, that, and he made the bombs out of wood as well. And he sent them to guys named like Percy Wood and Leroy Wood and to the, UN, to the US forestry offices. So the FBI obviously were off looking for some kind of wood guy for years. But they weren't far off. He lived in a wood, in a box yeah, that he made out, out of wood. wood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like, that's that's funny. That's like, if you if that was, all, like, if you knew that, like, the whole FBI are sitting in a box in the woods and, you know, the whole FBI has got a fucking breeze and you can just do whatever you like. Mm. I, I can see how you could think. As time went on, he became more brazen. He started making more powerful bombs and reaching out and mm. showing up himself and planting them rather than sending them in the post. There and is an element so, of invincibility. So bright. Yeah, he was so bright that he could imagine, he could go, okay, if that's me and I'm in the FBI, like I'm already more intelligent than most of them in it. So what would Challenge. I be looking for? Yeah. I'd be looking for all this stuff. Right, so this is how I'm going to affect You just counteract. With them. Yeah, counteract the... Yeah. FBI techniques. Yeah. So this is what I'm going like to do. I'm going to throw in FC. Was it FC? FC, yeah. Yeah, for the crack. Yeah. I'm going to post it from here for the crack. Imagine how cheeky he is. He even left a note inside one of the bombs that went, Woo, it works. I told you it would. Signed RV. Yeah. Like that's cheeky pop material. It is. So the various victims uh, all the way through the years. Uh, 78, we talked about Christ and Marker. 79, uh, Evanston. Uh, there was an American Airlines flight that found one in 1980. There was one Percy Wood uh, injured in Illinois. Uh, and then in 81, another one found in Salt Lake City and the bomb was defused by authorities. In 1982, Janet Smith was severely injured in Tennessee. Yeah. Uh, and in July of that year, uh, Diogenes Angakalos was severely injured in the face and on the right hand in 1982. In 1985, uh, John Hauser from Berkeley, California, uh, partially blinded in june 85 uh, there was one found and it was diffused and in november uh, the university of michigan got a bomb and professor james mcconnell was injured and suffered temporary hearing and his uh, assistant nicolas soino uh, was injured while he was opening it for his boss uh, it's pretty rough it it kind of um behooves one if they have an assistant yeah open all those parcels <laughs> don't open your own post can you imagine yeah. can you imagine like do you know the way people say like going postal that's like a postal worker went mental and just started shooting everybody or whatever. What happens if like someone from like Amazon just takes a notion and goes mental and just sends out like 50 bombs inside packages? Like, 
Like that could totally happen. And I could understand the atmosphere of fear that was going on at the mm. time in America where you're like, you can't go any place. If you kick something, up, there's, there's a weird thing on the ground, you pick it up, you could explode. And there was that feeling of fear mm. perpetually for 20 because years. Because there was no pattern. No pattern. No it was evidence. wild chaos. Like yeah. that's mental. And I think it might not be a massive contributor to like the, the general uh, uh, mentality of the country. I mean, the president wasn't mentioned in every two days in the news. It wasn't like a manhunt all the time. Yeah. Where it was like right in the news. But anytime it's like, oh yeah, the Unabomber's back. Like it's mm. Coldplay has just dropped a new album or something. You're like, oh, I forgot about those guys. Hey, what's the cry? What's the new album? Oh. Conscious uncoupling. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of those things though, like that would sit with you and go like, fuck man, anytime you get a parcel, Unabomber. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Have you worried? Uh, in December 1985, uh, Hugh Scruton got a bomb uh, in California. In 1987, Gary Wright, as we talked about in Salt Lake City, uh, got one. And then he took a little break. And in 93, uh, Charles Joseph Epstein was severely injured uh, and lost a few of his fingers in uh, t- Tiburon, California, from opening up a much more powerful bomb. And then David Gallertner was uh, uh, injured and blinded in one eye, uh, the... the computer science professor we just talked about yeah. in june in, in 93 then in 94 thomas j mosser got a bomb uh, in new jersey and 95 gilbert murray in california got a bomb so like there's a lot of a lot of people in universities a lot of lecturers and professors there wasn't a pattern as such but it was kind of like be feared be afeard of me and he wasn't attacking the public he tried to do it on the plane but it wasn't i'd love to know who was on that plane I'd also love to know, did he really want to do it on the plane? Or yeah, Did maybe. he purposely put a one... He must have known... There was a... Um, that it wouldn't work? There was an alternator uh, switch in it mm. that when it got to uh, a certain altitude that it was supposed to explode at a certain altitude, but the pressure inside of the pressurised luggage compartment to keep the post in uh, made the sensor for that bomb read as a much lower... Oh, because they pressurize all the ca- all yes. the cabin baggage so that it doesn't, um, you know, it's not affected by the 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 pressure in the air. Yeah, uh, and it affected the bomb's trigger mechanism. That's why it didn't blow up. So I think he did right. intend it to blow up because Lockerbie was done as well, like around yeah. the same time. Yeah, it's weird, like how how that one didn't go off, and he also didn't target the public as much. Mm. It wasn't like a public thing, you know. Yeah, it was more of a, a an educational institution thing. So who was he trying to scare? Even though the whole country was shitting themselves. Could you imagine if it was just like... Do you remember when Anthrax was around? And mm. It was like, they're sending Anthrax in the post and everyone was afraid to open the letters. So they put like more severe restrictions on postal checks and stuff like that. So and you everyone was just faxing the shit out of things. Yeah. Well, it was. It, it, I think it was a problem reaction solution to get more strict controls over the post. Yeah. To have stuff going in and out of the country. It's the same with net neutrality now. They're trying to take away... Uh, you know the 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 possibility. Like a couple of weeks ago, mm. there was some fucking I can't even remember what it was. Like some Trump scandal that was a personal issue or some non political issue, and the NSA managed to squeak by with this law that means that any packets uh, coming from anywhere into the US can be scanned and and like the, the securities that have now been lifted, where they're not allowed to. They're not allowed to keep them. Like, if it's unencrypted going into the US, the NSA has every single bit of it. 
like that was all passed through while we were looking somewhere else you know so there's all of these little problem reaction solution things that are edging towards uh, uh, like a universal control and we keep on missing that stuff you know there's yeah. people chalking it down and going listen to me and we're all going shut up you yeah so that's the kind of stuff hat, that like. makes ted seem like if he just didn't do the bad things <laughs> he had a good point kind of well yeah. did he have a good point we're going to talk about his manifesto now and and in that he laid out his recipe for the goodness of humanity he sat around with his 167 except for the killing well you know maybe he didn't mean to kill those three people mm. am i making it sounds like i'm making excuses yeah. so <laughs> but don't worry i'm on you like dip on a chip <laughs> He, he wrote this manifesto and it's basically like a, a surmising of all of his different uh, learnings and all his different uh, collegiate mm. assertions. And he puts them all into this one really well written, very well constructed and academic uh, essay. And it's dozens of pages long. And he sent it to a bunch of mainstream, mainstream news uh, outlets to get it published. And in this, it has like some really salient points about the industrialization of modern society do you know Mm. like mad uh, that we think about it now and how it's come since he wrote it since he submitted it to the fbi in the mainstream mainstream news at the time like all of it has almost come true you know yeah like kaczynski believes that the industrial evolution was the the font of human enslavement he says in the manifesto uh, here's a quote. He says, The system does not and cannot exist to satisfy human needs. Instead, it is the human behavior that has to be modified to fit the needs of the system. The only way out is to destroy the fruits of industrialization to promote the return of wild nature in spite of the potentially negative consequences of doing so. Like, he's basically like burn it down fight club style, you know? Is he wrong? Like, with the advancement of mobile technologies and social media, it's not just an actualization of this manifesto and the fears that he predicted. Like, they came true. Like, it's all the stuff that he was saying. Uh, the first line in, in, the, in the manifesto is, the Industrial Revolution and its consequences have been a disaster for the human race. That's the first line. Yeah. And he wouldn't be entirely wrong. No. And the funny peculiar thing is, now, is that... Like there, I feel like there is going to be a return to wild nature now, but that's like forty years later. You know, uh, aren't people like going back towards that now already? I think so, but my point is coming that away from like heavily farmed beef and meats and going towards veganism and paganism and esotericism and realizing how, like, say, social media, for example, is yeah. is flipping with their minds, flipping with their <laughs> minds. <laughs> It's toxic. Um, So they're going like, actually, this is having an effect on me. So I'm actually, I sleep much better. I don't have anxiety. I enjoy life much better when I just meet people face to face and then do crazy things like sleep and walk in the grass in my feet. (laughs) Are you talking about Mark Sissons? No, I'm talking about wild and, nature and and the and the primal blueprint i actually haven't i'm talking about wild nature and yeah. those are some elements that happen to correspond to that but they correspond with lots of things yeah like farming yeah keep keeping grounded and keeping out in nature yeah it, it, it is so like you'd have to read it i'm going to actually put a full transcript of it uh, yeah. uh, or a pdf download but or something on on the website so you can go and have a read it'll take you about 25 minutes or for 25 to 40 minutes yeah. depending on how fast you read it's not that long but it's all there you know but my 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 point that i was trying to make is 
that he was probably so bright that he could see big picture where all of this crap was going to lead us like on a fast forward like yeah. he's fast forward to the end of the movie and he's seeing that the end of the movie is shite <laughs> and he's trying to tell everyone let's not watch this movie and then nobody's listening to him because yeah. they all want to see the movie but killing people is yeah. not an answer and maiming people and not meaning to kill three people not an answer yeah, I think it was more of a hostage situation. Like, what he did was he sent the manifesto to a bunch of newspapers and said, if you publish this, I'll stop sending bombs, I promise. Yeah. And I don't want to do any, I don't want to tell that part of the story because that's kind of spoilers if you want to go and watch the series. But, you know, Pentest was like, we'll publish it. We just wanted to get get to stop him fucking sending bombs around the place. You know, the, mm. he sent it to the New York Post, New York Times, sent it to the Washington Post. And for strategic reasons, the FBI chose the Washington Post to to release it because there was only one place in San Francisco that sold it, and they were able to monitor everyone and try and follow everyone back. And there's a whole big operation, you know. But like, or now this is a conspiracy theory. Oh, go on. Or the head of the FBI at the time had a cousin <laughs> the, the Washington, Washington Post. Post. <laughs> he had. He, I wanted to improve sales. He had stocks. In the yeah. Washington Post. Yeah, well, I mean, there's a there's a, a movie coming out now with Meryl Streep and Tom Hanks about the Washington Post. And it seems like there's a lot of this, uh, you know, the Smith-Munt Act that we talked about in the mm-hmm. propaganda episode, which is basically the law that was repealed in 2007 that forbade the government from using uh, mainstream media or government resources to you to you to propagate propaganda out through mainstream media. And it was repealed from it was in since the 50s they weren't allowed to use it because people were, were they wanted to stop like wartime propaganda against certain minorities of people or against certain you know collectives political ideals or whatever and in 2007 obama's government repealed it and now since then has there not been like way more totally biased news report i mean look what's happening now with the russia thing and with Mueller and uh you know uh, uh, the Russian collusion, Uranium One, and Hillary's on the block, and then Trump is, has a fucking dossier against him, and it's all CNN versus Fox and fake news, and it seems like it, they're making up a lot of stuff. Like Russia was a big nothing burger. Like all of those things together make it look like the news is a fucking joke, and it could be the long game could be just to totally delegitimize news and information so that people are going like I don't believe anything and when they don't believe anything and you show them proof of anything they'll believe everything but there has to be proof so we're bringing people back away from like a subjective experience well that's the thing you have to have physical proof yeah but when you can yeah photoshop the crap and that's the thing that's the thing so what what then I was the second gunman we have a real there's a real creepy no (laughs) there's a real creepy video on uh on youtube about this computer program that you can it, it, like you put it on your face and then you move and then it moves like there's one video of moving putin's mouth and it totally looks like it's him like genuinely mm. but it's just animated like a morph animation like like yeah. those kind of things that ted was up against he was sending them to the washington post could it have been the washington post like now has a movie coming out with with uh, meryl streep and tom hanks mm-hmm. And because they're getting so much bad press for fake news and all this kind of stuff, they're like, I think I watched the trailer. I think it's going to be about like Watergate or something like that, maybe this fascination with the efficacy and legitimacy of news sources now for everybody, because people are all like, no, that's fake news. I choose to believe that or not, which makes the truth a little bit more fragile 
which means that you can get in behind it and motivate and motivate people to believe what you want based on what they feel subjectively. So in order to delegitimize identity politics, exactly. Yeah. So they're they're strengthening identity mm-hmm. politics by delegitimizing factual news, making the news look like a farce, and then going, "Well, trust how you feel," because you can't, like we can't manipulate how you feel right and people are going yeah i feel the way i feel because i feel it and your news is not going to change that and they're like great and now we'll just manipulate how you feel instead of showing you news and hoping that you believe it mm. now they're showing you bullshit and making you believe the other side of it through manipulation so it's it just seems like a really long game that kaczynski had predicted yeah and he was using that same infrastructure by sending that to the washington post and going look it see release that and then i'll stop because i've just been doing this making like shitty bombs because i didn't want to kill people i just wanted to get enough attention so that i can hold an entire country to ransom so that ra- i can get my message exactly out. yeah that seems to be what it is you know yeah. so the the industrial revolution and its consequences have been a disaster for the human race and he cites the automobile as an example, which offered every person the freedom to travel further and faster than before. But as cars became more numerous, they became a necessity requiring greater expense, bigger roads and more regulations. Cities were then designed for the convenience of drivers and not pedestrians. And for most people, driving is no longer optional. You have to drive because that's how the world works. If you want to get a job, all the stuff is decentralized, unless. you know, unless you're like me. <laughs> <laughs> And, but that's why people live in the city. Like a lot of people mm. in New York don't drive, never have a car, never will have a car because they don't need it. Yeah. But if you live anywhere else in America, everything is fucking miles away. Like they put all the houses in the suburbs away from you because the land is cheap and you can buy the houses for cheaper. And then the stuff, you have to drive into the city every day. Like so cars you're buying are, gas? You're buying gasoline. gas. It's the whole thing. Like there's, I mean, from our Monsanto episode, mm. there's lads that are in, in, in Oregon selling oranges to lads in Florida and driving them across the country and then the lads in, in Florida are selling oranges to the lads in Oregon and it's only just digging holes and filling them in again mm. to have a company to drive fucking perfectly good oranges from a local source halfway across the country like like that's bananas but do people do that mm. we talked about it in peak oil as well yeah. that there's that 80% of all petroleum consumption in the world is done on transport and, and a good proportion of that is done on just logistics transporting shit that people bought from one side of the world to the other so i mean he's not wrong do you know he he's not wrong in his message yeah in his message i i i, I kind of disregard the bombs part mm. for this mm. bit you know because mm. it's just the manifesto okay uh, so let's forget let's forgive him for a moment yeah let's forget about the bombs for a yes. second right so smartphone and computer technology has now beaten a similar neoliberalist path and the necessity to have a mobile communication device is now absolute similar to the automobiles so you're disconnected without one if you don't have one you're goosed you're stuck on your own in a box in the woods and if you refuse to have a mobile phone, you're seen as less than and like bothered or old fashioned and, and disregardable. Or in danger. In danger as well, yeah. People now believe that if they don't have contact with somebody, even though we existed For perfectly years. well without yeah. it, perfectly well without yeah, it, yeah. now you're considered like if you don't have a mobile phone, you are in danger if something happens, somebody attacks yeah. you, etc., etc. Have a phone just in case. Yeah. And I mean, there was a man that was a friend of my dad's. May he rest in peace. And my dad bought him a phone because he was worried about him because he was old. 
And he spent, he used up all the credit checking that the phone was working. By ringing your dad. So he'd ring dad, or he'd ring the house and he'd say, just check it, just check it. <laughs> and then um, the bitching would come on. That oh, was the woman going, you, you have no have credit sufficient to make credit. this call. Yeah. Um, but like that was out of the goodness of dad's heart that like he wanted to make sure that this guy was okay if he needed help. But I think that is a message that everyone has now. Like that we can't actually be okay without contact. It's gone further, like not even just the contact, but it's all gone further than that then. Like if you're not, if you say you're like, you're not on Facebook or anything like that, you just deleted no. Twitter tonight. Like Hey, Twitter. Right. Because it's a bit toxic for people who are not into it, right? Yeah. So like if you're not on Facebook and someone goes, so what's your Facebook? I get you off you're not, I'm not in Facebook. And you're like, ah, who do you think you are not being on Facebook? Like that's the reaction that a lot of people get for not being on Facebook. Who, what, why? I don't, I don't get that reaction, but I do get the, yeah, well, you're going to miss it then. And I'm like, okay, I don't care. Yeah. What's that, what's that thing, you know? And, and it's the exclusivity. It's, it's, he, uh, he predicted it by yeah. going like, the automobile is the way it is. What else can, what else are they going to essentially commodify? That yeah. it's an essential commodity. You have to have it. Yeah. Like what else is coming? Like it's one thing to invent something and go, isn't this useful? Yeah. But it's another to go, you're shit if you don't have this. But that's what, that's the Bernays stuff we talked about in the po- yeah. propaganda episode where Bernays basically invented how that's done. And you sell beauty products to women by telling them that they're rotten and ugly and you'll never be as good without this thing. And then you're playing on their natural insecurities. Yeah. By just having pictures of beautiful women all around the place and going, that's what normal is. And then you're just going around with just a base level of insecurity. And then you go, you want to be less insecure? Slap this on your face. You cunt. And yeah. then everyone's like, yeah, mm, it's just, oh, fills in all the holes in my face. You're like, okay. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes it's nice to have somewhere to put your keys. <laughs> that's a Janine Garofalo reference. But it just, uh, like, it, it just Choose seems. Cats and dogs. It just seems like. <laughs> You know, he, he, you know, he's not wrong. Like he predicted it. He called that shit, you know. Um, so, yeah, like we were saying, you, now you're expected to be reachable at all times. And if you're not reachable, if you don't have a working phone, people will consider you rude. Like you're talking about safety. Like it's come down to like, you know, other people's expectations of you. Yeah. And that's the problem. It's come down to the to, to people being afraid not to answer the phone. Yeah, as well. Like what you could be, you could be, you could be up in the toilet. Yeah. And people are like, "Oh, should I?" You know, like as You'd if you run downstairs with a shitty arse to answer the phone that mm, you don't know who's calling. I wouldn't. Like, well, but but my, but my point is that like, I think people have anxiety over like even having a missed call. Yeah. Whereas, like, who's that? You used to be able to get people, number. and that was just tough luck. Yeah. Whereas now it's like. Oh my god, they rang back again. Mm. Even if it's an unknown number, what and do I, refu- I do not answer unknown numbers. Yeah. And my biggest pet peeve regarding unknown numbers calling me is not leaving a voicemail when my voicemail is set up. Yeah, because you don't know who it is, and you're like, "Are you just going to stalk me?" Or like, yeah, so freak I just don't answer. I'm like, yeah. "Well, if you're not going to need a voicemail, I'm not going to answer." But this is the thing: like, if, if you're taught rude, so that you're playing on other people's conventions or whatever. Um, and who decides those rules of rudeness? That's the thing. We've all kind of just come to a general, yeah, general agreement that mm. if you don't answer or you don't reply, you're rude. And it's like, oh, I just didn't get the message or I lost the piece of paper with the message on it. Or my phone died. 
or my phone died or I was just busy. He's like, yeah, but it's only a text message. And you're like, mm, do you know? Yeah, but wouldn't you feel that way, though, sometimes when people don't answer your calls or texts? Yeah, of course. But that's the way it is. Yeah. People are like the dopamine you get when you get a, a retweet on Twitter. It's the same as like smoking a cigarette or, or having some chocolate. Like it's the you're getting all those rewards. Right. So someone's calling That's you. That's why I deleted Twitter. <laughs> yeah. What's a retweet? <laughs> <laughs> but it's a thing. It's a thing, though, like uh, when people are saying like you get a, a call and you're afraid to miss a call like that subtle human vulnerability, the crack, the chink in the armor there is taken advantage of by, you know, roto callers, you know, these like. The lads from from uh, you know factories in India where they're just like cold calling people and getting them to answer and then giving them loads of guff down the phone. Or there's uh, you know call scams where you answer the phone, you're like hello, 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 and then it costs you four dollars for that ten seconds on the phone because they've reversed the charges some right. some weird way. Mm. Like all of that stuff is like you look at a fucking phone number coming up on your phone that has like eight digits too many, and you're like uh, I don't know anyone in like Bangalore. Uh, fuck it I'll answer hello hello like yeah no that, I, I wouldn't do that but if that was anybody else they do it and the, the, some the, other people the amount of people that do do it mm. is enough for them to make enough money I, I said it purposely slowly so wouldn't they do do but <laughs> like that's the thing you know like yeah. they take advantage of that vulnerability in somebody's in somebody's personality Mm. and that's the point he's talking about that's the yeah. point Kaczynski's talking about and, is and, and it's because that's what was done yeah. to him yes took a vulnerability and take, took advantage of it and he's just after exploding that theory onto a national scale by going like man as a, he's bright yeah as a person yeah. you know you can be vulnerable mm. but people together can be even more vulnerable because yeah. it's a load of vulnerabilities put together it's a wider gash do you know I love that quote from Tommy Lee Jones in Men in Black he's like a yeah. person is smart but people are stupid yeah together people generally are stupid that's why you're not allowed to let yell fire in a in a crowded the sheep, cinema the sheep yeah, they yeah just do that shit man you yeah. know so the natural state of humans uh, uh kaczynski talks about mm. as hunter gatherers rather than land prisoned farmers has now been upset and society is on its on its head we've evolved to such farming practices and food processing and production as to deprive the earth of its nutrition and in order to feed an oversaturated planet with cheap food causing illness, cancer and other maladies. Uh, like taking advantage of how farming is done and people are accepting shittier and shittier food because it's cheaper. Yeah. And they're saving money on it. So they're going, yeah, I want to save money to buy stuff that I'm being advertised that's really expensive that I don't need mm. and I'm willing to you know like the makeup that's gonna make you pretty yeah and you're willing to spend less on good food and more on fucking yeah. makeup you might not need and you may as well like the, and you'll die even at 55 from breast cancer even the vegetables that you're eating may as well be coming in a can yeah yeah that's the that's the madness like yeah. the bad backwards thinking and he predicted it like in the 60s and wrote a big mad thing about it yeah so he also talks about politics and religion in a way that could be used to straighten up some of these binary oppositions that we see today he talks about religion he says thus there is a religious vacuum in our society that could perhaps be filled by a religion focused on nature in opposition to technology but it would be a mistake 
to try and concoct artificially a religion to fill this role. Such an invented religion would probably be a failure. Take the Gaia religion, for example. Uh, do its adherents really believe in it or are they just play acting? If they're just play acting, their religion will be a flop in the end. It is probably best to try and introduce religion into the conflict of nature versus technology unless you really believe in that religion yourself and you find that it arouses a deep, strong, genuine response in many other people. So what do you think of that? Like, that's... His, his take on modern religions like if, if you're not going to fully jump into it and the thing of don't it, bother like yeah and the thing of it is is that like he was too bright for that too because any other person I think would have probably not killed anyone um, not made bombs and posted yeah. them and started a not if not religion but like a a cult or an organisation or a collective a or collective a, like, a, yeah. like say a community the opposition to technology community yeah and there is some of those now, like lads yeah. living out in the in the forests in South Dakota and they all have, you know, it's all run on batteries and, and will and iron and sweat. Oh. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, he talked about minorities as well in the manifesto. He says, when someone interprets as derogatory almost anything that is said about him yeah. or about groups with whom he identifies, we conclude that he has inferiority feelings or low self-esteem. This tendency is pronounced among minority rights activists, whether or not they belong to the minority groups whose rights they defend. They are hypersensitive about the words used to designate minorities and about anything that is said concerning minorities. Political correctness has its stronghold amongst university professors who have secure employment with comfortable salaries and the majority of whom are heterosexual white males from middle to upper class families. And he wouldn't be fucking wrong. I was just about to say. He wouldn't be fucking wrong. Yeah. That's it, man. You're not wrong. So listen to what he has to say about leftists. And he doesn't like leftists, Claire. Doesn't like Mm. him at all. Do you like them, Gordo? Uh, depends how left you are and if you're willing to talk and if you're willing to listen. If you're willing to have a convo. I don't care who you are as long as you're willing to have a conversation. Yeah. Uh, leftists tend to hate anything that has an image of being strong, good and successful. That's a pretty broad sweeping statement about leftists. But let, let, let's let Ted uh, tell us what he means. They hate America. Oh, yeah. They hate Western civilization. In which they live and are very comfortable. <laughs> They hate white males and they hate rationality. And this is Which written. There. <laughs> this is written in the late in the late sixties. Like, think about this guy. Who who like you put he it? Fucking predi- use like, the relevance. Chalk it down, man. Use the relevance of it today. That's and you know crazy. none of this stuff. Like I his, wish it didn't kill anyone, Ted. <laughs> we could be so much easier to defend. If you, only man. you didn't kill her, man. No, it's it's weird though that they don't talk about any of this stuff really in the TV show. That's now a, like a super hit on Netflix. Yeah, but you can go and read the manifesto. It's up on the on the the well, internet. Totally easy, like the one, Unabomber the, manifesto. The one thing I would say for them though is that they do. They do allude to at least two people who look to be, quote unquote, normal contributing members of society going, I have to say, I agree with them. They do, And they yeah. don't know who they're talking about, obviously. Yeah, they do, yeah. 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 But it's a thing, though, that, like, the stuff that he's saying now couldn't be more perfectly represented oh, absolutely. in modern society in the craziest year of all years, 2017. Yeah. Like, last year is basically the human physical embodiment of all of the fears and warnings from the fucking manifesto of Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber. Like, bananas. Mm. to the le- It's like some cunt read that and went, oh, let's make that happen. Mm. The opposite. Like, about the fucking, uh, uh, the, the upper middle class college professors yeah. turning, like, 
that's all that was happening. Jordan Peterson out in the out in the yard, yep, shouting at transgender people like that's exactly what was going on. Do yeah, th- that's like um, like if you if you crossed a palm with silver, you couldn't get it that right. Like seriously, and this is not Nostradamus shit. This is not like write a general again, milieu th- of like very vague and totally applicable metaphors you know that you can just slot into anything in 500 like years you, time there's an alcoholic in the family no like he said they tried to find a thing about Nostradamus doing 9-11 it's like and a bird and the silver thing and the flies and the pillars and it's all like that's not fucking 9-11 but apparently he predicted Hister instead of Hitler he wrote the wrong the wrong thing but like yeah so he had dyslexia you can, yeah. big <laughs> you can find anything in that this is like bullet specific yeah but know? Like, that was what I was saying earlier on. Like, he obviously had such a big picture mind. Yeah. Like, he, he must have... And well-read. And he, but it must he have was been, in the college environment and he could see it happening all around him. And Yeah, but a lot of people can't put those pieces together. They don't want it, though. No one wants to see that shit, Claire. Because they're like, if I, if I go against this, that I don't get my, you know, my dream life, my dream job and all the stuff that I want. If I, the American dream. Yeah, if I fight against this and it was still pretty much alive in the mid-70s, there was no... Yeah, there was nice cars around then too. Yeah, trickle-down economics and mm. and all that stuff hadn't come around yet. And, mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It wasn't that bad in the 70s. Well, I suppose... They were looking I'll, even back to the 50s to the prime time America, you know? Like, yeah. this guy lived through all of that and saw it rise and uh, eventually fall and bombed all the way through it. But in the same, in at the same time, like one of the things he mentions about about like minorities, and he's like, you know, they're hypersensitive about the words used. I that wasn't really up to nineteen eighty seven. That wasn't really the case, that, really, really. But twenty years later, it is absolutely now, day on day the case. It, it is uh, now. I feel like it's it's very pertinent. But back then, if that seemed like it was the case to him, yeah, I think it was like. Probably like if we're getting anywhere with our case, we need to keep plowing on and don't yeah. try and stop us. And maybe that's how people still feel. But they were teaching critical theory and, and postmodernism and all of that stuff like way back then. We call it cultural Marxism yeah. in the conspiracy community. Mm. But like they were talking about all that stuff back then too and teaching people that. And it was like a small little movement. But now as a counteraction to, to I don't know. I, I like to call it just like Trump because it's easier and everyone knows what I mean. But as a counteraction to the Trump phenomenon, there's a lot of people now going, no, I'm not going to take it anymore. Hillary can still be president, maybe. You're like, fucking just let's get on with it. Like, mm. let's just get on with it. This is fucking Unabomber shit. Like, get over it. Do you know? Yeah. Let's c- continue with leftists then. So Kaczynski goes on to say they hate America. They hate Western civilization. They hate white males and they hate rationality. He's not wrong. The reasons that leftists give for hating the West clearly do not correspond with their real motives. They say they hate the West because it is warlike, imperialistic, sexist, ethnocentric, and so forth. But where these same faults appear in socialist countries or in primitive cultures, the leftists find excuses for them, or at best, he grudgingly admits that they exist whereas he enthusiastically points out and often greatly exaggerates that these faults where they appear in Western civilizations. Like, it seems that that's the case and the heroic rise and, and massive popularity now of socialism and the socialist agenda and groups of people like warring at Berkeley over free speech and saying like, 
uh, uh, you know, USA, not today, and trying to like the United States is not a thing, and you're like, well, fuck off then. Yeah, and the the anti individualistic. Yeah, well, that's the way collectivist. That's the way the collectivists work. The socialists work. It's like let's all do it together for the people, and you know. Yeah, but that's never the case. Then the case is, don't be looking into my homework as soon as you start making money. <laughs> yeah, because capitalism is just really nice and delicious. And socialism is like a good diet with like legumes and salad, which is great and it's real healthy. If you can afford the if toilet you, paper. <laughs> it's real good and it's real healthy and you have to keep to it all the time. But like you're always looking for those, you know, loaded fries of capitalism where you're going, yeah, it's going to be the cheese and the meat and the fried potato. Like, and, I, and I want to know that I have enough cheese and meat and fried potato for everyone in my family. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's addictive, man. Okay, uh, he continues. Thus, it is clear that these faults are not the leftist's real motive for hating America and the West. The leftist hates America and the West because they are strong and successful. Words like self-confidence, self-reliance, initiative, enterprise, optimism, etc. play a little role in the liberal and leftist vocabulary. The leftist is anti-individualistic, pro-collectivist. Claire Fox. He wants society to solve everyone's problems for them, satisfy everyone's needs for them, take care of them. He is not the sort of person who has an inner sense of confidence in his ability to solve his own problems and satisfy his own needs. The leftist is antagonistic to the concept of competition because deep inside he feels like a loser. Ooh. That's pretty scathing from Ted. But he's not wrong. Oh, are we going to sing? You do the, You take the high road. Like, there's a lot of people out there and I'm saying, look I, deep into your heart. I don't know if all leftists feel like losers. Not all leftists, but look deep into your heart there, folks. And if you're sitting back going, did I not try and make that business that time when I was working in that shit job and I wanted to start a fucking bubble tea shop and I didn't do it because I was afraid I'd fail? Probably is. Probably is why you didn't do it. Why is anybody in a job they hate? And why do they stay there? Because they're afraid of change and changing their job and trying to go out and get something else. Do you know? They're or not because to, they're working on the road. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's a broad sweeping statement. True. It's very well constructed. Yeah. May it be true for everybody? No. Is it a good idea and does it hold water? Yes. Like, that's a pretty fucking accusational statement to throw at leftists in general. And I don't throw that all leftists. And I'm not particularly right myself. I'd be centrist, I guess. But with regards to like socialism and how that social construction works and the attitudes that come along with it and the fact that this was written in the fucking 60s, late 60s and early 70s yeah. and then refined and refined all the way through the 80s and then all the way through the 90s and then sent to the FBI as a, you know, a fully regarded piece by a guy who has watched this stuff unfold over 40 years. And then he went to jail. And 20 years later, the warnings that he gave in this manifesto are manifesting themselves on the fucking streets of California. They're manifesting themselves in the, in the, yeah. in the learning annex halls of Ivy League colleges all across America and in other countries too. Do you know? Have a read of the whole thing. I read the whole thing the other day and I was like, well, lick my fingers. This shit is bananas. Cereal. Fucking bananas. Let's hear what he has to say about science. Ted Kaczynski. Science and technology provide the best and most important examples of surrogate activities. 
Some scientists claim that they are motivated by curiosity or by a desire to benefit humanity, but it is easy to see that neither of these can be principal motive of most scientists. As for curiosity, that notion is simply absurd. Most scientists work on a highly specialized problem and they're not the object of any normal curiosity. For example, is an astronomer, a mathematician, or an entomologist curious about the properties of isopropyl trimethyl methane? Of course not. Only a chemist is curious about such a thing, and he is curious only about it because chemistry is his surrogate activity. Is the chemist curious about the appropriate classification of a new species of beetle? No, that's the question of interest only to the entomologist. And he is interested only in it because entomology is his surrogate activity. If the chemist and the entomologist had to exert themselves seriously to obtain the physical necessities, and if that effort exercised their abilities in an interesting way, but in some non-scientific pursuit, then they wouldn't give a damn about isopropyl trimethyl methane or the classification of beetles. With possible rare exception, their motive is neither curiosity nor a desire to benefit humanity, but the need to go through the power process. And this term and all of that stuff is all explained in the manifesto. But the power process is, i.e., to have a goal, a scientific problem to solve, to make an effort, research, to attain the goal, solution of the problem. And science is a surrogate activity because scientists work mainly for the fulfillment that they get out of the work themselves. No, they do it because they get paid to solve specific problems that nobody else wants to do. And if they have any interest in it at all, they will do it because no one else will and get money for it. They're saying, it's the altruistic search for true to, oh, oh, how much? Sure, I'll do that for nine years. Uh, no, no, I'm not, I'm not saying that's a very cynical view towards science, but I can see what he's saying. And he is in an environment where he was surrounded by people who were operating solely under that uh, uh, and that was a different Paradigm. time. And well. it was a different time. That was a time when academia was lauded. Yeah. It isn't anymore. Not as much. But I'm saying that it, that principle of... That I took that quote as an example yeah. of how he goes through all the parts of society in the manifesto and goes, yeah. they think they're really doing it for that? It's not. It's for this. Yeah. That's super cynical. That's really negative. But it's also kind of eye-opening and a little bit kind of sobering that you're yeah. like, fuck yeah, you're dead right, man. Like I say, I make this show because I love conspiracy theories and I love talking and it's better than standing around in the phone shop and I try to start this business and I'm trying to make it the best I can. Yeah. I do it because I get money for it. This is my job and I enjoy doing it. If it wasn't paying me any money, would I do it for as long? Maybe not. Would I do it as frequently? Maybe not. I'd say Will I have to go get another job and then eventually this would fade out if I didn't get any money? Yeah, probably. I would say you would do it as as a hobby. Yes, but I wouldn't have... Like like I would go to choir practice. Yeah. And then sometimes I'd sing in concerts, but not all the time because I don't have time because I have a full-time job. Yeah, but I started this from inception of the concept of the show was to grow it into a business and make money and have it as my job. Mm. I didn't tell the lads that, but that's what was in my head. And I organized it from the ground up to be that. And now it is that. So, do you know, well done me. 
But at the same time, I couldn't with good conscience go out there and say, I'm out here exposing the truth, guys. I'm the only one telling you the truth. You know, if you want the truth, you go through me. I'm doing this for no reason. You know, only for I want to spread like the real. T- and there's a lot of conspiracy theorists that do that. They're all like pulling There's a lot that. of religious leaders who do exactly, that. Exactly. And they're getting that. a nice tidy little wage, which they conveniently don't mention. Yeah. And then they're like, I'm spreading the word of God. But you're also making a lot more money than you would be if you're working in a phone shop. Like, these people have to listen to me the whole time going like, hey, join us on Patreon.com for blah de blah Like, I do that because I give them stuff. Mm. And I enjoy making that extra stuff. Because mm. it's fun and it's, and we're also, already making it. And also, what I like but about it is donations. nobody is beholden to no, it. They're not taking bounce if they want. Yeah. Do you know? If I wasn't getting enough money and I had to get a part-time job, would I be able to make as many shows? Probably not. But I'm totally honest about that. That's how it works. Everyone knows that's how it works. And that's why the subscribers are like, if we give you money, you make more stuff. I'm like, yes, I will. If I make enough money, I'll be able to hire on somebody so that I'll have time to make more stuff. All the guests that are on the shows these days, they're all getting paid and it's all coming out of Patreon. Like Patreon is the lifeblood of the show. Patreon.com slash those conspiracy guys, by the way, if you want to subscribe. Like all the stuff is in there. I'm totally honest. I write big emails that tell here's what's going on. If you're a fan of the show, you want extra stuff, that's how it happens. But I'm not going like a lot of conspiracy theorists and YouTube channels and all these dudes are like, I'm only doing this to expose the truth. We have to, you know, topple the government and do the thing and blah, blah, blah. Mm. Loads of fucking lads are like that. And yet they're then going and buy my merch. And you're like, "Mm, what? You're against capitalism, but we have to buy your merchandise. That doesn't fucking make sense, bro. Yeah, that doesn't... um resonate really yeah yeah it doesn't it doesn't make any sense these guys are all it's like, not authentic uh, but, uh, anti-capitalism and join the mug club you're like no and anybody that's honest and i try to be as honest as possible about how i feel about certain things and i reserve the right to be wrong but i'm not like these guys like he's accusing leftists and scientists and they're fucking low like there's 180 something paragraphs in this thing yeah and each of them are like well constructed all the stuff is in there i'm not saying yeah, you got to read it and believe it. But and it's, it's not an interesting all, it's intellectual not all experiment. bang on for now, but no. it's just remarkable what he came up with at that time. And I pulled out a few subjects that were like, yeah, this is the crack. So we're talking about now the scientist part that I pulled out that was very pertinent to what we're talking about on this show. Like the global warming, lads. Mm. Everyone's going on like, global warming, global warming. And the scientists, the, the, the climate change scientists, 98% of them are all saying that man-made global warming is a thing. But if it wasn't a thing and global warming didn't exist, none of them would have jobs. And they wouldn't be getting paid any money. So they can't say... The, 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 There's the an narrative, agenda there. Exactly. The narrative of their altruistic scientific pursuit yeah. is masked by the fact that they have jobs because this thing is a thing. Yeah. And they're making money and there's other people making money and the planes and the cars and all the stuff. We have to pay carbon tax and everything. And there's it's money, money, money. So those guys provided those scientific... Uh, 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 results to be able to further an agenda to make money and now that's a pretty spurious one that could be argued a not spurious one is when coca-cola come to a load of scientists and give them a fucking ball of cash and say can you tell us if coca-cola is bad for your health or not and then the scientists go how much money are you giving us this much no it's lovely it's great for your health wash your arse out with it it's really handy if you need to fix your car if you have any rusty parts <laughs> But seriously, like that's the kind of stuff he's talking about. The industrialization of science. If you were actually an altruistic scientist. Yeah. Researcher. Shouldn't you be trying to prove both sides equally and then coming up with a, okay, this one is definitely winning. 
<laughs> well, scientific method like supposed to run like that mm. to be able to go. I have to prove it to be as as much right as it is wrong, mm. uh, and then you have to test your stuff and test it again, and then try to recreate the circumstances to test it again. Uh, there's all sorts of different ways to test stuff scientifically but with the social sciences and stuff like that there's a lot of like subjectivity and there's a lot of gray area and people can be asked like yeah it's grand it's grand like what do you balance your limits at like with the coca-cola thing like what's yeah. healthy do you know is yeah, having define health. is having 28 spoonfuls of sugar healthy yeah so who did they have to make make a limit to how healthy sugar is for you and is it just somebody writing really good copy? I mean, why does why does McDonald's now have salads as part of the main part of the menu? Which often have more calories than yeah. their the water has calories in it. Do you know what I mean? Like how how can you make that? Uh, uh, it just looks like it's okay because some new stuff came out and said, "Hey, this is a thing." Like Kaczynski's calling this shit in the sixties and seventies, calling it out, and then writing it all, watching it grow all the way through the eighties. You know, mental mental shit so if you want to read that manifesto I'll put a link to it and I'll make a little article I'll put it up on the website or you can go look for yourself just type in Unabomber manifesto and have a read it's not any subversive shit you're not going to go to the like the FBI it's definitely going to come up on a thing like bing there's another IP address but it's only words on paper and do you know what I mean as long as you read it and go oh yeah that's a thing like I think everybody should have a look if it was so culturally important and if it was important enough to be able to set the whole country alight for 20 years looking for this motherfucker set like hundreds of FBI agents 24-7 looking for him and they couldn't do it. Like he must be smart enough to write some stuff that makes some sense. So I'm not saying believe it, but I'm saying at least read it. Have a consideration for what was in that book. Mm. Because some shit, some shit has been said. And a lot of it, it can be like wiped away as like misogynistic, anti-societal hoo-ha from like a fucking mad cunt in a wooden box in the forest who's like, society's shit and everything's bleh and is real cynical. And you can look at it that way or you can take it apart and try and make parallels as what's happening today. Like I've done with a few paragraphs and go like, this has always been a problem. How did they get over it before? How will we get over it again? And look to the future and look to try and build something on it rather than sending you know, your metaphorical uh, wooden boxes of bombs in the post. Like people are sending out tweets and sending out stuff to people and going like, you did a thing and a thing with your finger and their fucking life is over. They might as well have blown off their hands or their face and they're doing it on Twitter. So we already, we don't need to send bombs in the post anymore. All you need to do now is send a fucking tweet and somebody's fucking hands are blown off metaphorically, you know? Aziz Ansari has has someone fucking just saying some shit about him because he's not good at sex and now his fucking career is in jeopardy. She might as well have sent a fucking box full of nails with a, with a pipe bomb inside of it to his fucking house. There you go. Do you know what I mean? We don't need that anymore. There's, a, there's an infrastructure there that society is now policing itself with the stuff that Kaczynski warned us about, which is the policing of language, the policing of thought, the fucking ma- manipulation through capitalist means of scientific... Uh, experimentation or scientific results like society college culture education academia like industrialization transport uh, sexuality the legal system like all of those things are industrialized they're all made to work to one thing which is dollar dollar bills y'all and if it's not like that what's anyone doing anything for why are we not just all living in a box in the woods just enjoying our life wiping our arse with leaves he's not wrong Four ply leaves. <laughs> so on April 3rd, the Unabomber was arrested in Montana. Uh, and 
it was a relief for a stressed out nation. Uh, he was in a cabin in Lincoln, Montana, which was the most unlikely place to find him. Uh, and Sherry Wood, who was the librarian at the local library, uh, she who I think that was the character that was in the TV show as well. I don't know if her name was Sherry. She says that when, when the case was over, true crime fans would come to her library and sit in the seats and touch the walls and hope that Ted had sat there. They're that's like, is strange. this where the Unabomber used to sit? Like, it's fucking weird, right? Yeah, that's really weird. So Ted moved to Montana after the job at Berkeley didn't work out and then he moved home to work in his brother's business in Illinois and that didn't work out because he was sending dirty letters to one of the brother's employees and she didn't like it and she was like, stop. And he's like, what's wrong with you, baby? Like he has some fucking weird ways of going on and that's not cool. And then his brother had to fire him. I thought him. it was that she rejected him. Yeah, but and also... Then, and I then read, he was posting letters all over the workplace. Yeah, like that's how it, them. That's how it was portrayed in the tv show but what he was doing was sending her loads of stuff oh. and turning up and looking in the window and being a bit fritzily Teddy's at the window <laughs> like the lesser known mary blackson <laughs> he was he was a bit full on and yeah. she's like stop it stop it ted and then his brother's like bro i'm gonna have to let you go sorry yeah. you're too f- weird and then so he just went right well, fuck it and he packed up his shit and him and his brother had built this uh, temporary structure in the in the land that they owned in Montana and he just packed up his shit and went to this one room shack with no running water no electricity or any mod cons and he even constructed his own bike out of, out of spare parts and he'd cycle it in, in and out to town for supplies and he'd roam the forest hunting and like shooting dogs and squirrels and other animals white dogs he'd shot a few pets yeah but that's maybe that's a thing that they'll put into these articles to make him abhorrent yeah because you can't shoot a dog so you're like, if he chewed a dog. But if know, he was able to shoot, why would he need to shoot a dog? Maybe there was no squirrels. There's plenty. I saw a squirrel today. I, I, I'm just in saying. In the middle of nowhere. I'm just saying. Maybe he just, maybe he, maybe he liked how dog tastes. It's like pheasant or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Why would, why would that create an emotionally negative response? Because it's a dog. Yeah, because it's loved by its owners. I don't know. What if it didn't have an owner? That's the thing. It's one of those things that they say about the Unabomber. He shot dogs. <gasps> he must have been evil. Like, why would you say that? Doesn't matter, man. It's a dog. Mm. <laughs> Depends on your fucking attached, so emotional attachment to dogs. Mm. So what Ted was being cased by the FBI just before his arrest, they all landed into Lincoln, Montana, and they quadrupled the town's population. They were all over with rifles and were asking questions and they were bopping around to all the shops. Now, have you seen this boy? And at this point, the FBI still weren't 100% sure that Ted was the Unabomber, uh, that the forensic linguistics was the only link to him, and they weren't 100% sure. So they're like, what, what, what are we going to, how are we going to do this thing? Um, there's like a big emotional uh, conclusion in the, in the TV show, so I don't want to spoil too much, but the locals claimed that they heard loud booms coming from up in the hills, or from the sky, but from the direction of the hills, and they chalked it down to planes flying overhead and, and it being the sonic boom from from planes. Hmm. Uh, could they have thought that maybe it was Ted out testing, uh, you know, bombs out in the forest? They didn't know. But the shack was commandeered by the FBI and flown to the West Coast for the court case, but uh, Ted wouldn't tell them uh, at his arrest if it had any explosives in it. So they had to examine it for 10 days before they could get all the stuff out of it uh, and all the bomb making equipment was was uh, was there basically and he had all the ingredients he had a regu- ready to go one under the bed yeah yeah like oh I just didn't, couldn't afford the stamps I didn't get a chance to go to San Francisco to put it in a post box yeah because I live in a box <laughs> but one of the biggest things to do with this case and uh, we finish up with this is forensic linguistics and mm. this is where I think I found this fascinating fasc- I'm gonna I'm gonna look into it more fascinating man. because I like 
I have to say, I like you'd I, be good at it. I was just going to say, I noticed that yeah. I notice things like that about yeah. people. I'm not trying to toot my own horn. I often find that I notice. Maybe it's my musical ear, but like I notice things that people say differently. Yeah, and they do that in the show, like water. Your man yeah. says it like he's from Philadelphia. He's like, yeah. are you from Philadelphia? And that was a thing. And I yeah. remember that because um, the last time I was in New York, um, maybe it was when I was in Boston. I remember like friends of mine who were from the same place that I'm from saying um, we're from Ireland. And the way they were saying Ireland, they were like, oh, Ohio. And it was like, no, Ireland. And like... <laughs> But just, people wouldn't expect you to say Ireland. No, and our, like I think Americans would probably expect to say us to say Ireland. Ireland. But like, I'm from Ireland. So my friends were saying Ireland like that, and then they're like Arkansas, <laughs> and like they mentioned so many American states, and we eventually we just went, yeah, sure. Yeah, I'm <laughs> from here. I can't remember the one we landed on, but it wasn't Ireland. <laughs> but isn't it the thing though that like when you go away, I've seen you do it. You're in the middle of talking to someone and you have a few scoops on you and you start fucking doing their accent. Yeah, I can't help it. Like if someone is from somewhere else, you're like, oh, sure, sure. And you say stuff to them and you're like, uh-huh, mm-hmm, sure, sure. And I'm like, Are But it's you not okay? even with a few scoops. Like I, I used to do that in school <laughs> and it was really embarrassing because sometimes it was with somebody with a speech impediment. Oh, no. And then Claire. my friends would be like, stop on the piss. And I was like, I'm not. I actually, I cannot help I'm not it. pulling the piss. Leave me alone. <laughs> Like, oh my god no I remember this girl used to talk really really fast and I, I don't know if it was a nervous thing but like she really mumbled and talked really fast and every time like I was sitting beside her I'd be like and everyone would be like stop doing that it's really obvious but yeah. I just couldn't like I didn't I'd say you'd have a natural predilection for that I always wanted to be an FBI agent yeah. when I was a kid watching Fox if Mulder, I was going know. into the FBI I'd be I'd be like if they said which do you think you'd be good at oh give at? me a desk job yeah shit absolutely I'd be going for forensic linguists <laughs> I wouldn't be going for let me find the weirdo and try and fight him off <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't be that person well in Manhunt the Unabomber uh, the show on Netflix that we've talked about uh, we're, we're told a previously untold tale of uh, agent James Fitzgerald who was an FBI street agent who was called up to the big leagues because of his aptitude to code breaking and his unique mind uh, Fitzgerald was an agent with the FBI for nine years and he just graduated for training and, and this Unabomber case was his first case. And that's how the show starts is with this guy graduating. And I think this was the untold the untold story of this dude because up until then, through all the YouTube documentaries that I've watched, it was always his superiors that were taking the credit for the particular uh, uh, you know the particular yeah. operations in yeah. the case and we're like and then we did this and we did it my team did but this and you're like doesn't every manager do that yeah I guess everybody takes credit for somebody else's bullshit like but I'm saying that James Fitzgerald deserves a slap on the back and he started to get it in the late 2000s yeah. uh, and in the last year in 2014 he wrote a book and he's got two more out since and fingers crossed, you know what? I'd love to have him on the show to have an interview with him. So that would be excellent. I'm going to tweet him and tell he him. He sounds like he might have Irish connections. Fitzgerald, yeah. Where, where are you from? Ireland. Honda Fitzgerald. <laughs> are you from Ohio? Arkansas? Arkansas. Well, Fitzgerald. Omaha. <laughs> well, Fitzgerald, like, he, he, in the show, was way cooler than I think he is in real life. Like, in real life, he's a bit of a nerd. Uh, I've seen a couple of interviews I with him. I don't know. Him. I didn't think he was that cool in the show. I thought he was a bit uh, of a dope. I liked him in the show. But, like, he, uh, like he was grand, but like I, I felt like slapping him a few times. Yeah, but I mean, it's tough. 
you're chasing the Unabomber, like. Yeah, it's tough to be a parent. <laughs> but in real life, he, he was doing these interviews with these uh, people on these crime shows, these YouTube channels and stuff, and he's real erudite and he knows exactly what he's talking about. And he was fucking shit hot at being an FBI agent. And he was able to take something that was never, ever done before and turn it into a way to catch bad guys. And since it's been like, the other way, the first time you do anything, uh, yeah. it, it, it's not really accepted as that's the way you do it and you have to have it proven and all this stuff. Some might so, call it state of the art. Uh, yeah, that's it. And, uh, if you've watched Mindhunter, you'll see how profiling in the FBI was created in the first place. So these guys will go around and interview murderers and try and form like uh, uh, patterns in behaviours and the upbringings and all this kind of stuff so they could make like a glossary of terms and a, 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 an index of like uh, certain types of histories and what questions to ask to find out how did this thing happen? Why did they do it this way? And going into Ed Kemper and just being like, so tell us about your mother. Well, well I tell you, you know, and they were able to go, okay, well, first of all, you ask about the mother and then you ask about this and you ask about any, you know, sexual weirdness or anything, you know, and all of these markers were all created in the late 50s and early 60s. And these guys were doing this in the in the 80s and into the 90s, trying to find how forensic linguistics would be able to catch somebody by using the words that people used, the the, the, the misspellings and the similarities between writings. Yeah. So oh, the, it's phenomenal. Oh, absolutely. Amazingly yeah. interesting. So the timeline of the show makes for good drama, but like as far as the real story goes, there's some small inconsistencies. But the truth remains that James Fitzgerald used traditional non-computerized code breaking to decipher the Unabomber's code. And he did so using the manifesto that we talked about uh, and the letters that were given by Kaczynski's brother. Right? Yeah. And actually, one thing I liked about the show, I don't think I'm spoiling. spoiling. No, go on is that I like the way even though he he was exec producer wasn't he yeah James I like that there was a lot of stuff that he did that was shitty yeah that was owned up to and he, he let it happen because that was the story of what was told he wanted to tell the true story yeah. rather than have including that the brother was kind of like the brother and the sister-in-law yeah were, were not treated the best no and his partner they were the betrayed FBI, altogether yeah. yeah and his partner in the FBI was totally but it was just like a thing of we gotta do what we gotta do like he, he had a one shit, track like. mind yeah but and his one track mind was let's get this guy we gotta get this guy but they yeah. did get him and that's the thing like you need to fucking sometimes you need to do it so the brother yeah. uh, after they after released the manifesto so what they wanted to do was release the manifesto to the yeah. public and uh, when somebody would read it they'd go oh I recognise that that's you know my my student or my teacher or that's my you know my mate yeah. from college or it's a family member it's I not recognize it that. doesn't read like a hey yeah 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 like it reads super very specific pr- language particularly yeah, yeah. but for forensic linguistics itself uh, first appeared when Jan Svartnik used similar strategies to analyze statements from Timothy Evans who was a Welsh man convicted and hanged for the murder of his wife and infant daughter in 1950 and it was later used by McDonald's in a copyright case where the prefix Mac or MC meant something small or convenient uh, it meant that they could put it in front of items like McCoffee or McMuffin uh, but when Quality Inns wanted to make a chain of economy hotels called the McSleep McDonald's then got a bit pissed off because they're like hey you're taking our Mac uh, and prefix. the legitimacy of this prefix then had to be forensically analysed through all the different uses and variations and uh, forensic they were pissed. <laughs> yeah they went through a McLaw suit 
and he ended up getting a mixed settlement. But yeah. it, it ended up being like forensic linguistics look at looks at like the language of the law, how laws are written, uh, and then it looks at documents to do with legal matters. But in this case, the way these lads used it, they used it as an identifying and profiling uh, tool. So forensic linguistics is used in the process of usually trademark and intellectual property disputes, author identification for like ransom notes or threatening letters, or indeed through uh, original works like no- novelized yeah. fiction and or that's, whatever. And that's what's amazing is that that's how far it's come in such a short time. But it's just... Is a, it a, now a, when we submit a, a, an assignment in yeah, college... Yeah, fucking hell, plagiarism. In seconds, a computer can yeah. go, mm, this sounds awfully like someone else. I was putting all my Did stuff when I was doing... Did you take this from the Unibon? <laughs> <laughs> when I was doing all the stuff for college, like this year and last year, put, putting all the... Well, not this year, I suppose. Last year and the year before, putting through all the stuff through um, Paper Rater or something like that. We had a different one. We had, uh, there's loads of different ones. And you, mm. and you upload the thing and it goes like, yeah, this is exactly the same. Change the phrasing. Like amazing how it's able to do that that everything is database but these lads were doing it without a computer they were like yeah. manually pulling out words making the glossary putting the stuff up and in the show that's like three whole episodes of eight is which how is, they take that apart sounds that's boring. fucking fascinating man sounds boring very fascinating very interesting right so these uh, especially if you're a language fan yeah a linguistics fan taking the he, like one particular part in the show that I really liked was they took the um the fact that there was uh, misspellings of these words. There weren't the American spelling, there were the English spelling. They were wondering like, where did this guy go to college? And they had all of these, uh, it was the whole essay, the whole manifesto was written out like it was a college essay and it had a glossary and it had an index and it had a bibliography and it had uh, like notations on each page and all that kind of stuff. And they're going, which institution used to do it like that? So for our college, it was Harvard style. Um, But But even what I find is interesting is like, like a student of ours recently said, oh, Shakespeare got that wrong because in Romeo and Juliet, he had spelled afraid, afeared. Yeah. And I was just thinking like, even if somebody wrote afeared now, it would be like, oh, studying Shakespeare. Like that's immediately as their profile. Yeah. As as a profile. And people um, weren't doing that. Point. Yeah. Uh, I, I watched the, 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 the interview with James Fitzgerald today uh, mm. and he was saying that like before when you got a manuscript or a ransom note or like some kind of document in the FBI before he came along say in the 80s it'd go to the lab and it'd get analysed the ink on it would get analysed the glue the Finger paper prints. fingerprints DNA like sweat any kind of uh, uh, any kind of forensic evidence was on it but no one ever looked at what was actually on the note he's like why don't you read the words on the note and he said some of these like notes he said that there was um, uh, bank notes you know when you go into rob a bank you know Claire when you go into rob a bank and oh, the last few times I don't know I've been to off just breeze through them just like been off. You just, yeah it's like a holiday so you go into rob a bank and the people pass the note through the desk and it's not just like put all the money in the bag James Fitzgerald said sometimes there's like a, an essay. There's like two whole pages or whatever. And it tells, I'm only doing this because I have no yeah, fucking money. Exactly. And it's like a justification of all this yeah. stuff. And then they get the money and bounce. Yeah. But the information that's in those notes, he said, was never read. Yeah. And information that is totally like, this totally identifies this dude. I can put all that stuff together. And yeah. the way he writes it, he's from here and he leaves out letters like that. And that's how these guys write this stuff. So now they're using it for like a, 
uh, like digital forensic linguistics where they're looking at emails being sent and they're looking at how text messages are being sent or if there's anyone sending letters now like you heard of like handwriting analysis and all this mm-hmm. stuff that's all included in forensic linguistics and it's amazing it's really class so uh, these guys they, they they're able to now take a voice identification for kidnappers and nuisance callers they're able to take discourse analysis for people who be engaging in a criminal conspiracy so they can take people and, and from interviews or from uh, interrogations in police stations, they'll people be able to go, similar. That, that person is in a gang or that person was involved in that crime because both of those guys have like similar attitudes towards the victim or whatever, this kind of stuff. Putting all that stuff together. Uh, and there's language analysis for even tracking the origins of asylum seekers. So there's people that come in and go like, "Where are you from? I'm from I'm from uh, Iran." And that's become going to become more and more absolutely usable. Would you say like, "Where are you from? I'm from Iran." Okay, let's get an Iranian expert in here. And your man's like, "No, he's not speaking with the dialect." He's like, "Okay, okay, I'm I'm Kurdish. Okay, I'm Kurdish. Okay," and you're like, "Ah, you you pup." Mm. Like this kind of stuff. Uh, I remember one of those ones where. Um, do you remember years ago when all the videos were going out about the the beheadings? They were coming from Iraq, yes. like the, the journalists and stuff like that, the three Americans and the one British journalist. I remember watching an analysis of that and there was a British uh, uh, Arabic expert and he said, that guy's not even Arabic. He's a he's a, he's a a white guy or at least British or, or American speaking Arabic because he has these inflections and it's not exactly the same. So why is a white guy in a video and apparently those vi- some of those videos were faked and your wow. man put his finger on it and went, that's faked. As like a t- like terrorist propaganda. In the same way that if somebody was saying, ah, but the love is the Lord. Oh, yeah, Tom Cruise and firing away or whatever. Oh, I know who you are. Jared Butler or some shit. Yeah. Yeah. It's just painful. Yeah. Like it's time. painfully obvious. So when the manifesto was released, Fitzgerald hoped that someone would recognize it uh, because of the linguistic individualities. And, and this happened. So Ted's brother recognized the phrase cool headed logician, cool headed logician. That was the thing that Ted used to say. And his brother went scrabbling under the bed and pulled out all these boxes of letters and all these old essays and stuff from college. It was college. his wife that noticed it first. She was, reading, she was reading it online in Paris. Because yeah. she's from France. And she, she called home and went, what's the fucking crack? And then she came home and she said it to him. And, now he, and they sat good on it for as months. as a French person. Yeah. That was some good But maybe because she was French, she was able to see the difference. Yeah. Where she was able to go, I've never, I've never read that ever. In all the times I've heard that, like I had to look that up and he was the only person I ever heard say it. Yeah. Yeah. It's just mad coincidence. That's really interesting. But they released it in the Washington Post, then they released it in loads of other, mm. uh, like the New York Times and, and Penthouse and all this stuff. They all printed it to try and get it out as much as possible. And then the FBI put it up on their website. But it, the internet was like, and what was Ted wearing in the, the was he wearing a teddy in the penthouse <laughs> yeah imagine the unabomber Ted in a teddy <laughs> but uh, yeah so Ted's brother went like this is the crack I, that's him it took him months to come forward but he finally did and Fitzgerald as you see in the show was like yeah we, we mind you don't, don't you know don't worry don't worry it, they went through a solicitor and all this kind of stuff to uh, like his brother went to a solicitor said contact the FBI and tell him it might be him but like there's you're not allowed to share that document around like you're not allowed to make that be evidence and then it turned into evidence and then they went to the house and there was a lot of stuff like jumped through you know um yeah. okay I don't want to spoil it but that, that you have to watch yeah. it that's the crack so we recommend that you watch if you've listened to this episode and you're still listening 
you will probably we, be interested. We in haven't show. spoiled anything almost. No, no, no. But my point is yeah. that if you're still listening at this point, you're probably if you have Netflix, watch it because it's good. Ah, uh, it's really good. Uh, so Fitzgerald then, after he found all of that stuff and he finally got that linguistic evidence added to what was allowed to be uh, read out in the courtroom, he wrote a 50-page affidavit, which was the first of its kind in federal law, and he convinced the judge to sign the warrant in a panic to be able to get the warrant to search Ted's uh, uh, cabin. And it was all kind of like, you know, run to the wire. You'll see it in the show. But it was, you know, the first time it was done. Fitzgerald's put this thing over the line, like... And that is really admirable to be able to take a, a totally brand new way of investigating somebody and push it past hundreds of people below and above him. Yeah. And have them all accepted as, yeah, that's a totally legitimate way to But also get have evidence. them all saying, if you're not right, you're fired and you're dead. <laughs> yeah. But also if you are right, you're not getting any kudos for it. Yeah. That's the joy of middle, fucked. middle, middle. So when he was when Fitzgerald was speaking to an interview from the Academy Group for Forensic Linguistics, he said that forensic linguistics had a great future. It's on the cutting edge of forensic science in terms of acceptability to real world situations. It can help corporations understand what their employees are saying or solve crimes using just language. So now in this modern world with G- GCHQ and the NSA and all of that stuff, collecting all the data and processing it and everything, isn't it obvious that this is the science they're using, but on a massively like computerized, high-processing level? They're sifted through all the normal, everyday bullshit. Mm. And people are going, no, they couldn't have every single text message going through there. I'm like, yeah, but... Uh, Look how they totally quick they can. can go through a 10,000-word totally essay. Totally can. 20 two minutes. seconds. Like, they're having billions of gigabytes of data going through GCHQ like it's no problem because they have all of these glossaries of terms and all of these like it's data on data on data and the more data they get the more accurate that stuff gets so we talked about that in our Snowden Assange and Wikileaks episode about how GCHQ works and what Snowden told us was watch out because everything is going through this he just put up another warning there the other day because that law went through when we were all looking at fucking Trump golfing or something and now the NSA can have every packet going through. They're guaranteed have heard me say NSA on the show a bunch of times. Do you think... That's the crap, Do you think man. will people start to make up ridiculous code like like young girls used to like Iligai, yeah. Willigil, Goligo, Willigil. <laughs> Twin language. Tuligul, Yuligul. Yeah, I think it could. It could I don't happen. know what I just said, pe- pe- but pe- you get my drift. People already do that, though. They have, they have like, you know, uh, uh, street, street lingo. Yeah, but like in know? terms of text and emails, would it be like... Um, John, stop, chair, microphone. But they could have... I don't know what that means. They could have like what uh, were in the Podesta emails, which is like, oh, do you want to go for some cheese and some pizza? Like, who knows? $75,000 for hot dogs. If I I was a pedophile, I wouldn't be talking in normal language. I don't know. I don't know. No, but that's what, like, that's all I'm saying. I'm not saying anything else. I'm just saying... I wouldn't be going, hey, what about that kid that I want to have sex with? <laughs> yeah, but I can't, we can't say that, the, that that's what the protest emails were about. I'm not saying that. But I'm that's saying what a lot if of people I was a pedophile. Cheese pizza, CP, child porn. Could it be a link? I don't know. Forensic linguistics, let's have you. Or it could be, I'm off my diet and I fucking love cheese. I love cheese. And pizza. And kids. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's weird. <laughs> so... Fitzgerald was also famous for working on such other high-profile cases as, drumroll please, John JonBenet Ramsey. 
And do you know what he was analysing? Get out. The fucking ransom note that was left on the stairs. And what was he thinking? He totally said that he thinks it may quite, quite possibly and maybe it... Well, he didn't totally say it, but he intimated... Suggested. He suggest Like, he made... Well, he didn't suggest, but he kind of said, like, it was the mother. It was so the mother. So he said, it's not not the mother. Yeah. I'm not not licking frogs. Yeah. <laughs> but he, he, he went on to say, like, in this interview, I saw him on uh, another, a different interview again today. He said that uh, over time, with the, lo- the longer the message... The more chance, the more information you have to find out, because the more chance you're going to make a mistake. So if you, like Kaczynski, was making mistakes on purpose at the start, by the time you get to the end, you're kind of tiring out, and you don't remember to make those same mistakes again. Or mm. if you were learning at the start and then you start making mistakes towards the end, it meant that you were reading it from somewhere or it was being dictated to you. So you can tell if something's being dictated or if it's being written by that person's hand. Like a lot of talk was about the John Benet Ramsey note that it was written by a woman because it had certain, uh, you know, characteristics about like, you know, nature and nurture and, you know, help and health and all of these different terms where it's like, yeah, that was written by a woman where they tried to make it out like it was you know yeah. a kidnapping gang that kidnapped and then killed her and then went oh quick stash the body mm. like weird man you know we are a, we, we are a, a t- what was in it again we are a terrorist organization and we want $181,000 which was exactly the amount that uh, John Bonet's father had got as a bonus in work so it's like was it somebody from work how did he know he had that much money mm. And and Fitzgerald is going there are all the elements we look at the content the context the spellings the particular arrangement of the words is all very telling as how to the mind, how the mind works, and that's that. I love that shit, man. Yeah, I'd be intrigued. Open cases with that, man. I'd be intrigued. Like yeah. the first thing I'd be doing is going, okay, how many people in you in work knew how much money he got in his bonus check? Yeah, let's look into them. Very few, I would imagine. I would imagine too, because you wouldn't be going public with that, because that causes rifts in work. Mm. Every time I get a bonus, I keep it quiet. <laughs> <laughs> for me as well <laughs> he was also uh, involved in in the letters that the dc sniper was sending and he is also a consultant on the tv show criminal minds <gasps> yeah he was asked about his work in criminal minds is and it said, him How that makes you? matthew gray goobler not be able to take a breath <laughs> i think that's more the camera work oh the lad is just uh, what i love is they're blocking i can't like i love 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 crime shows but i just can't it's too blocked and it's too it's my line now like there's never any like people people talk over each other when he was asked uh, Fitzgerald goes like that's the thing I love about and I hate about the show it's like I love consulting on it and all that stuff but in real life there's no crime is solved in 42 minutes um and also or in a week or in people 10 days. talk over each other constantly yeah but should we do it here on the show all the time that's why people love this show those conspiracy guys where you talk over each other but you know everybody gets heard sometimes yeah but like it's so it's so obviously like oh is it my line okay cool here's my line yeah i can't watch it i but can't suspend TV, disbelief that's how tv works now no criminal minds is particularly guilty of that i think so is the fucking big bang theory where they have 20 the seconds Big Bang Theory between how rate. people take talk like it doesn't rate they have to wait for the laughter the laughter that is paid for by dead people I I, I, I challenge anybody to watch uh, that 70s show or um, the Big Bang Theory without a laughter track you'd fucking scrape your eyes out of your head you'd probably clean the house because yeah, you'd be waiting not good so the last bit and the bit that I found like the most intriguing 
because it was a really strange uh, psychological phenomenon was the sketch of the Unabomber that was so famous so famous and known Uh, it was done by an FBI sketch artist and it's the only thing the feds had to go on to get this guy for months even years so the sketch was contentious because it was done and redone and then repeated and then and then the final sketch that was released to the public was a repeat of the first sketch that was done by the sketch artist and the second sketch was a sketch of the sketch artist so because there was so much time between yeah. the first sketch and the second one that the, the, the your one remembered the guy who was drawn remember the guy who's yeah. taken and there's a picture of him like holding up the sketch going with the gla- same glasses and all he's like this is me yeah. i was the one that did it years ago and then she just remembered me imagine but, if, imagine if he was drawing it and he was like um that sounds very familiar <laughs> <laughs> wait a minute uh but on the website Unibombers, so careful anybody who's typing that one in, uh, these site creators even speculate that the Unibomb case and Ted are part of a government cover-up. Bup, Hashtag conspiracy. Exactly. They claim that the Unibomber witness rejected the first two sketches done by the FBI artist, and the FBI artist maybe could have been instructed to draw somebody from memory who looks like Ted Kaczynski. Because he was part of the MK Ultra program and they had a picture of him and it's like, just draw a picture of him and then tell your one that that's who he is because we need to pin him in a few years' time because we have a load of bombs that we have to plant all over the country to make people afraid and to be able to get people to control when they go into airports and be able to put legislation on post and stuff like that. That draw all that sounds cunt. very organised for very. a government organisation. <laughs> yeah. Well, she said that the, the sketch that the FBI artists didn't look like him at all and they skipped to it and they went with it. And then the website owners claimed that the FBI designed this widely circulated sketch the second one to look like ted to make the perpetrator fit the crime and if you go to unibombers.com there's a vast vast amount of information there and they put the blame of uh the the unibomb at a uh i think he's like a some kind of a government agent called J. Ray Detling. And th- this, he, they claimed that they, he there was part of a cover up of elements of an MK Ultra program and that the real bomber was just a ruse to terrify the American people. It takes apart the inconsistencies in the manifesto, does its own forensic linguistics on the manifesto, shows all the bomb parts that they were in, inconsistent with previous bombs, no matter what the FBI had said publicly. They took DNA uh, DNA samples and the reports from the stamps that were used on all of the, the uh, packages. And then one of the weirdest things that I thought that, no, the FBI wouldn't throw a lot of fucking manpower at that. They found an impression on the front of one of the versions of the manifesto that was sent to the New York Times. And it was an indentation of somebody writing Nathan R. So when they did this little rubbing, like, you know, you do the rubbing. That was tasty. And it had Nathan R. written on the front of it. And the FBI went out and used the resources to interview 10,000 lads called Nathan who had R as their second name. That's not 10. From the area. That's not 1,100. That's 10,000 10, lads called Nathan R. And these were all done by the FBI because there was a little impression that said call Nathan R on the front of one of the manifestos inside the envelope. Like, they didn't know the chain of, of evidence. They didn't know that it was not like somebody wrote that while it got to the New York Times. Like, bananas. Like, Is who that, does that? They're yeah. desperate absolutely desperate so that's as far as i'm going to go into that i don't want to talk about the courtroom or i don't want to talk about exactly what happened because it's it's a small enough part of the case i more wanted to talk about like 
what uh, Ted Kaczynski was as a person and how he got to where he was and how he did and what, what he did. And what was he thinking? Yeah, fucking bomber. You could have done it, man. If, with, with, if you had the internet, if you had chat rooms, you could have done it. But uh, I think that the last part of it is a little bit of a spoiler if you want to watch the TV show. And I'm kind of setting you up to watch it because I think it is a really good representation. Uh, I've checked it off of uh, all of the truth. Uh, if you listen uh, to internet. True Crimes, you want to watch that show. Yeah, do. Big time. Um, but also, I, I, I would recommend you go over to unabombers.com and have a read. It. Just have a read of that stuff and see if you could make up an alternative narrative or see if there's nothing different uh, to what the TV show is telling you because there's an awful lot of different stuff and it does seem a totally plausible like massive government cover-up for MK Ultra, like totally does I mean sure 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 it's low but I mean obviously it's it, a little bit kind of mad conspiracy stuff as well but have a go and see what you go so uh, we're going to get off the fence now about yeah. Ted Kaczynski Claire off the fence um Ted Kaczynski, is it the fault of his upbringing that gave him the personality type to be put into the situation to be taken advantage of? Like, can you manage a child like that better? And is it the fault of the parents in that, in that, in any in way? that era? I would not be blaming the parents. The parents were like a Polish American couple. I yeah. would, I would Polish say. immigrants yeah. in the 50s. I'm thinking they're just trying to get the American dream. They're yeah. working hard. Their son is a genius. He's flying through high school. He's flying into Harvard. Like that, that seems like they're getting the American dream. Ivy League shit, yeah. Yeah, and like they went, like it's not like they Do you weren't think they aware. Them? That they could have been like, no. you will go into this college because, no, because you come back with make us many dollars. I would question that if I didn't know that they actually visited a school for autistic children. They tried every opportunity. They tried. Yeah. And, and the guy, and I've no doubt that back then it was like, do you want to send your odd weird kids here and we lock them up because they're weirdos? The guy, the principal, apparently, according to the mother's testimony, uh, I was reading an interview about her and what, how Ted was as a kid. And she said that the guy who was the principal of the school was a prick. And that was the only reason they didn't go there. Said we probably would have went if it was nice because Ted did need a bit of extra love. Yeah. But that guy was a dickhead. So we just didn't. And I'm like, whew. It's just one of those weird, if, and if, if, what if kind yeah, of situations. Yeah, and it makes you know? me very relieved and happy that, at least in the education system that I work in, that those kids don't go, they just don't go unnoticed and yeah. uncared for anymore, even in mainstream schooling. No child left behind or whatever. Well, that's not our saying in Ireland, but, um, like, if you put a child on the autism spectrum into mainstream school in my opinion as far as my experience goes they're looked after so i think that he was too young going to college i think that he needed he needed extra support not necessarily like he didn't need any academic support in fact he could have easily done without a couple of years learning academics academic subjects and learned how to deal like just life skills like, social skills yeah. yeah social skills but also like how to deal with things like like later on it, it came up for him like when a girl like decides she doesn't want to go on any more dates with you like that's not the end of the world and you don't yeah. turn into a psycho yeah. and start like stalking her a small bit like yeah. you know like there's a way to deal with that um but then again that happened after he was treated the way he was treated in college so maybe that was you know, he was less able to deal with that because of that. So he had two very difficult situations in his life happen. And it's like traumatic, I would say. 
And it sounds like also he probably was born on the definitely on the autism spectrum. Yeah. Like sounds like it. It sounds like it. It sounds like it. And and so at that time there was no support. And then he had two like one traumatic event happened at age nine and then something like like a long term just abuse, I would say. So let's go into that then. What do you think about what uh, Murray did to did to him in college? And is that justified even if it's for science? I think Murray will rot in hell. Yeah, he did it to a lot of people. I don't care. Is he one of those, like, he, he could be a mental mangala? Like he was a, yeah, like, I a, think psych- I, I, a psychological... I, I literally would not split him up. I think, you know, call like put go into Auschwitz, go into... Uh, Harvard it doesn't matter you're fucking with somebody like yeah and do you think that uh, that was could that be the sole reason for breaking Ted's psyche and putting him in I that situation I think that is a form of exist? torture and it was a psychological break yeah and I think that could have caused a mental breakdown and after that and it sounds like I don't know if it's true but it sounds like he really he was really hurt by his brother getting married yeah um, for whatever reason for whatever reason and I and I would say that was just it just felt like another reac- rejection in the same way that his mother had been told him. his mother rejected him by the by Dr. Murray yeah I'd say it just felt like now I've nobody so what have I to live for so I'll do this thing because this is the only thing I believe in I don't but in any way but he still had faith in the world he didn't lose faith he he still had faith in the world he wanted to save it I'm yeah but I've, I'm in no way justifying what he did but I can see where his brain went so let's talk about then what he did get off the fence about the bombs themselves yeah do you think that they were purposefully underpowered as, so as not to kill people and he only started killing people later on because the, the bombs got gradually more powerful do you think he just wanted to make some noise and get some attention so that he could put his manifesto out to the world? To or me, was he just a bomber and he was just like, I want to fuck the place up and he just wasn't good at making bombs. That's why they didn't kill anybody at the start. To be honest, I I know he was a genius and a mathematician and everything, but I can't see how he would have known exactly how they would have detonated. Yeah. Well, he was experimenting with out, out in the woods and stuff like well, that. Maybe like, that's, I didn't hear any of that before. I only yeah. heard about that tonight. Yeah. So, so what do you think then? Is it is it a thing where you think he was, would he be smart enough to go, if I kill a lot of people, they're going to find me way quicker than if I'm just injuring people. Maybe he's like, I feel bad about killing people, but I don't feel bad about injuring a lot of academics because they're all fucking liars in his mind. Possibly the latter. That sounds convincing. But again, who knows? Yeah. I'm saying, what do you think? Do you think he was just shit at making bombs or did he, did he have like a heart that he just wanted to get his... I don't think he would have engaged in an activity he felt he was shit at. So so you do think that he was making them purposefully weak just to get attention and, and not have the guilt of killing a lot of people? Yeah, I'd say if he meant to kill 26 people, he would have killed 26 people. Apart from the, the one on the plane that didn't work. But I, there was no way he could know from making them in a box in the woods that the altitude wouldn't Yeah, that work. one is questionable. Yeah. Yeah. But maybe it was just to skip. That's the thing. That's where the conspiracy then comes in. So mm. get off the fence about the grand conspiracy. Mm. Knowing now that the child was autistic, possibly, I don't, at least yeah. on the spectrum. I was just going to say, I don't was, know that. He was manipulated in college. He may have been suffering I'm just going from, back from schizophrenia. From what, yeah, what you said. That's what he was convicted. When he was convicted, they put him in saying, you're schizophrenic. And that's why he didn't go to the electric chair or whatever, mm. right? So you're saying that he could have been on the autism spectrum. He was grossly like mishandled and 
I think, you know, psychologically deformed in college, which put him onto a path of destruction. Yeah. And he made up his mind to make a plan to make a manifesto to tell the world what it should really be by making loose bombs. So do you think, is there a conspiracy then from the the, the assertions of the Unabombers.com website where the government were the ones that put that thing on the plane and made it purposefully not go off and just blamed it on the Unabomber because he was this faceless guy for so long? Like it, it wouldn't be unheard of for FBI agents or police to catch a guy for a murder and then go okay how many murders identical to this guy's murder have we got on the books okay we're just going to throw them all at this cunt because they all look the same and they get to sweep a load of murderers off the books so they look great and this one guy gets lumbered with six killings that he didn't do like could it have been that situation considering the fact that i was i think um like i was in my formative years we'll say when he was in the news and I never heard about the bullshit that he experienced in Harvard. Seems so like a cover up, right? Considering that, I wouldn't put it past them to do the plane thing. Those conspiracy girl right there. <laughs> there we go. And then last off the fence, just as a kind of a, a humanizer. Yeah. Uh, what? Did the brother do the right thing? I think he did. And I like my heart goes out to him. Me too. It's fucking tough, man, to yeah. dog in your family, but like... And and he was like, you know, like you can just sense that, like, as I said, he was a really good guy who was like, like just going, I, I can't believe that my brother, who I just thought just couldn't cope with life and people, did this, like, and he had to, he had a moral obligation and it just shows his morals because he could have just gone, la, 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 not yeah. my brother. But then every person that died from the bombs from then on would be That's on his on conscience. His conscience. Yeah. Because he had a conscience, because he was so, like he. Like, Which makes and, me think that the family is forthright and they're, they were raised well. And I yeah. think Ted Kaczynski also had a similar conscience to his brother and that's why he made bombs that maybe didn't work properly. Cause he, so you're off the fence. Is well, that, let's get off. Let's, I, I want to ask you one more thing before okay. I get off the fence then. The man Festo. Mm-hmm. What say you? Religion, minorities, leftists, There's scientists. No, I, I won't say a sweeping statement. Yeah. It's shocking to read it today. Yeah. In in January 2018. It's just like re, it's just like watching a movie or reading the book 1984 by George Orwell. You're going, yeah, that sounds pretty much similar to today. You're just going, wow, you have big picture-itis. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people knew that shit coming down the pipe. And mm-hmm. now it's being manifest now it's metastasizing into what we have now mm. so do you think the manifesto is a po- like a pot something positive that we i mean you have to read the whole thing first right mm-hmm. i've read the whole thing and i'm like meh i pulled a few bits out of it like the bits that i pulled out does that seem uh, there's nothing positive in it because i didn't take the positive parts he doesn't really give answers but the fact that he's able to identify those problems as problems mm. is already positive right yeah and so do you think like he's not wrong oh yeah I would say he's not wrong cool okay uh, it's time for me to get off the fence then I guess yep so Gordo yes off the fence mm-hmm. was it his upbringing was it his was he not adequately I think for? if the parents had pulled the trigger and sent him to the autistic school who knows maybe it could have been different but we all could sing shoulda woulda coulda's I do think, though, that 
the fact that he was so gifted and it wasn't fully explored or it wasn't fully developed yeah. in the direction that it could have should have been like he got a scholarship to harvard but he was sent by not just the parents but the entire education system that he was in when he yeah. was a teenager all the way coming up till he was 16 like all of those teachers all of those people all those adults around him knew the crack yeah like at 168 yet, iq he was he was probably looking down on the math teachers yeah and they were looking up at him going, what the fuck is this kid? Like, yeah. they're not going to go, I hate you. If he was a weirdo, they'd be like, come on, I'll help you. Unless he got a really bad roll of the dice and ended up in a school with teachers that were all dickheads and none of and them had any regard. And didn't want. And didn't want to be shown up by some genius kid. Like, unless he got a really bad roll of the dice there, I think there's a lot of people that just wanted him to do well and thought he could do it and just overestimated him socially. Yeah. That, like, they just went, you can do it, Ted, right? And he's like, yep. And inside, he's like, ah, like because as well as being in Harvard at sixteen, he was also in grades that were that were above his, you know, like, all the way up. Yeah, and so he's in adult situations, yeah. in sexy adult situations, mm. and also like so- social ones with like maybe some alcohol or maybe some, you know, he's in college, he's away from home for the first time. He doesn't have his mm. brothers and sisters, or parents around. He's in a fucking. That's hard enough for someone who's like twenty. Never mind sixteen, man. You've only yeah. just got hair in your balls. You don't know what the fuck is happening around the place, you know? Yeah. So what about Harvard then? Like, do you think he, like, do you think he shouldn't have gone? I don't think he should have went at 16, no. If they had took him and brought him out and sent him to, like, Matt's camp or had, like, a private tutor, like, taught him from home and brought him out to give him, train him in social situations or some kind of, some extra developmental training, Mm. something like that, some help. But sure, shit, man. This is 2018 and, and kids who are on the autism spectrum barely get that as it is. You know, they're just given a load of fucking drugs and told to shut the fuck up most ways. Not, Not in Ireland. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm saying uh, a, a lot of kids are just like they're ADHD or they have, you know, uh, ASD or they have any of these kind of disorders. And they're just given a load of shut the fuck up tablets and they take them and that's it. You well, know? speaking of Louis Theroux, he did he did look at that. Yeah. Um, America's Medicated Kids that one was called and it's just like people who are genuinely like autistic and they're just here take these tablets and they're mood stabilizers and they're you know uh, uh, concentration pills and fucking you know wake up in the morning jobs and go sleep at night jobs and it's it's you know they could have done that for him mm. they could have done that for him and at least that would be something rather than just leave him languish and have mad crazy social anxiety while he's at college away on his own and what fucking your man Murray did to him was the lowest of the low and again a bunch of adults all decided it wasn't just one dude like yeah. fingering him in a fucking uh, a swimming pool shower cubicle like this was a bunch of dudes performing a scientific experiment all together do you know and a lot of decisions were made and a lot of uh, a lot of people were like involved in the decision making they they saw how young this kid was this like if they talked to him they knew how green he was yeah how spectrumy he was and they mm. were just like yeah let's do it anyway they knew how bright but green he was exactly like he was fucking green as grass man and like he saw that guy saw that and went mm, fresh brains and he just dived right into it. he's like this guy's really vulnerable but just like a, a stage hypnotist do you know when he does those tests and it's like close your eyes and put your arms out one arm has a balloon attached to it and the other arm has a weight and whoever has their arms highest and lowest is the most is the most suggestible in the audience and they're the ones that get brought up on stage 
because they're the ones that get manipulated the easiest and the work is easier. So Murray just went like, do you know, you have a balloon in one hand and a weight in the other. Take this LSD. Do you know? Fucked him up, man. That was really, really poor form. And if there was any kind of justice, Murray would have been able to stay alive long enough to see that it was Ted Kaczynski was the Unabomber because he had to live through 10 years. Something tells me he knew anyway. Do you think? Yeah. He died in 1988. But it was just so odd. Not that he that knew. He, oh, God, I think maybe that guy, maybe that's... I, what I mean is, I think he knew at some point in his life or death the, the extent of his own evil. Because yeah. I think he is far more guilty. Well, they're the things that we didn't talk about in the Operation Paperclip episode, that there was loads of that kind of stuff. Those situations happened in real life to people, you know. So do you think that he meant to make the bombs with crappy pieces of wood <laughs> i think possibly yeah yeah possibly yeah because like we said if it was just a message that he wanted to give it was just a loud bang it was somebody just just to scare people mm. and eventually be put in a position where they would be going like like it was it was always it was always ted making the moves He was making the moves man he sent a, a letter to the new york times and said this is the crack i'm fc I'm the fucking Unabomber. Hmm. We are a terrorist organization. Here's a number that I'd be able to give to you to identify myself in the future. And it turned out to be some cunt's fucking social security number that had wood in the name or something to do with wood. And everyone was like, oh, wood, that's the, we, we know now. And it was just a whole big ruse, like a fucking Joe, a jape hmm. for Ted to do that shit, right? Yeah. So he sent all that stuff to the New York Times and was like, this is how it's going to go down and I want to be able to publish my, my thing. Like, that's all he wanted was to publish that manifesto to be able to get everybody to read it. And to be fair, like, mission accomplished because he's yeah. one of the most famous terrorists in, in American history, in the world history. And he got the job done and only three people died. Like, think about it in, in relation to how many people die by the hand of the US military or any military, the Russian military, the Chinese, like how many people die of starvation in the world? Like one in six people in America is in food poverty. One in six is in food poverty. That is bananas. Because they don't have any bananas because they're in food poverty. Like how many people die of... So you might say that that is shit. That is shit. That bananas is shit. Mm. How many people died this winter from freakishly low uh, temperatures over the last little while? Mm. I I was seeing on Reddit, like it was just like, you know, shops were staying open 24 hours a day. Like they were letting the people, the homeless people who usually sleep in the doorway, the people who own the shops were like, come here, man, there's the keys to the shop. Don't fucking rob at them, please. And don't die from exposure. Like there was mosques and churches and everything going, come on in with blankets and soup and all. It's minus 25. Like don't die out there tonight. Like how many homeless people died from exposure uh, per week in the last month? Way more than Ted Kaczynski blew up with little fucking pipe bombs in the post. Mm. Like way more. And nobody did anything about it. So who's the who's the criminal? Like we didn't do anything. Can, can you be c- convicted of a crime from lack of involvement or lack of intervention? I mean, that's Asimov's three rules of robotics. Like, one of the rules is don't let a human come to harm. How come we don't follow the same rules the fucking robots follow? Do you know what I mean? Like, mm. that that's how, that's how, like, three people is all that died. And that message was put out to the world to make people think, like, yeah, maybe we're not, 
we shouldn't be living in such an industrialized state nation maybe the thinking behind you know critical theory and the thinking behind neoliberalism are 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 equally abhorrent in, in different ways for different reasons but they're still equally abhorrent and there's somewhere in the middle where we can all meet that everybody seems to just be allergic to at the moment and everybody is binary and everybody's against each other and they're fucking poking heads off each other because of words because of how how words make people feel is this is this going to be looked back on in 50 years time as a war of fucking feelings i think so Similar to the way we look back now and go, yeah, the Gulf of Tonkin incident was an entire fake to get the American government to get into Vietnam because Bell Helicopter wanted to make billions of dollars and the American military wanted to spend billions of dollars on making weapons and sending lads over to fight in a country that they weren't asked to fight for in the first place and then lose and get their arse handed to them and have to come home in somewhat shame because they couldn't beat a bunch of fucking Vietnamese lads sitting in trees in black pajamas. Like, if that can happen, and hundreds of thousands of people can die, and the only message that we get out of it is, oh, we shouldn't have done that. But sure, come on, we go do it again in Iraq 15 years later. Yeah. And three people died by the hand of Ted Kaczynski to get a message out that maybe some people, some more people should read and actually go like, yeah, maybe there is a middle ground. And today it's more pertinent than ever. I, maybe know, it, I know three people died, but... Yeah. Yeah. I'm saying a lot of other people were really were injured as well but I'm saying as far as deaths go mm. there's an awful lot more killing people out there for absolutely oh I agree way less meaning yeah than the stuff that was in his manifesto and mm. I'm not going the Unabomber's manifesto is fucking awesome I'm saying read it have a think about it have a think about how you live your life and how others live theirs and know that it has to be part of somebody's plan because it's too perfectly recreated in the modern society to have been something that he just pulled out of his arse in a box in the woods. Mm. Like he saw it happening all the way along. And he's one of the smart, like the highest IQ dudes on the planet. On the planet ever in humanity. Like he's in the top 1% of IQ people. Yeah. And if he's able to fucking go through that shit and come to those conclusions and then have them come to absolute carbon copy fruition 20 years after he releases it to the public like that's some fucking spot on Nostradamus in the modern day shit like do you know mm. and if we're fighting a war about words and feelings on the streets in the fucking social media living our abstract lives where part of our personality lives online and is free to be attacked by anyone while we sleep like that's a thing he warned us against don't let your fucking person be taken from you that's all you have. And yet people freely give it away for fear of things that don't exist. That's exactly what he predicted. And it's fucking happening, man. So I think the manifesto, not the jazz, but I do think the manifesto has an awful lot of truth. And everybody should read it, whether they agree or not. And if anybody out there is of the left side of the aisle, uh, you might find it a little bit insulting. And there are sweeping statements about science and religion. And that's yeah. just, it seems kind of bigoted towards a certain Sorry, political Kat ideology. <laughs> it seems bigoted towards a certain political ideology, but like, that's the crack, do you know? Ugh. You can't discount it just because you don't like how it feels. Yeah. It's not any less true because you don't agree. So go and have a fucking goo and see what the crack is. Now, as far as James Fitzgerald, he's a legend. Look mm. him up. Watch as many things as you can of him. And Forensic Linguistics is mwah, 
super interesting stuff uh, i'll be putting loads of stuff up on the website with regard to that and the poor old brother as far as the brother goes when i asked you like did he have to do it and you said yeah like would you squeal on your brother if he you thought he was like if i thought a, he was a killer an international I would. terrorist i would yeah I don't know if I could tell on either my because brothers. to me I can I can split my love for my brother and who my brother brother all five of them are <laughs> I can split up my love for them with I don't think they would have been in their full minds if they went to kill people even if they thought it's collateral damage yeah I wouldn't help my only my brothers cover it up but I wouldn't like freely give them up to the police mm. do you know like I confront them first myself and go, did you do that shit? Okay, stop doing that shit. Do you know? Mm. And it's kind of share the burden of guilt a little bit. I wouldn't be like, hey. Once you do that though, you're you're an accomplice. Yeah. It's tough. It's a tough decision. It's really hard to think. Well, I'd like to think that I wouldn't. Wood, we won't have to worry about it. I really, yeah. Lads, Make fucking keep, calm down. Come on now. <laughs> Ronan, James, Fergal, Niall, Oliver, will you calm down? <laughs> Relax, lads. Um, yeah, so, like, you can find out all the stuff about the court case and the drama to that. I, I didn't want to go into that because a load of fucking podcasts go into that as well. And that's the spoiler part of the TV show. So this is kind of to tell you the background and all the extra stuff that wasn't in the show. Uh, you should definitely go and watch it. This is not a sponsored ad by the Un- Manhunt, the Unabomber TV show. It's just, like, I found it very, very interesting. Claire did as well. It was yeah. something that we both really enjoyed. Yeah. And the psychology of it, the story of it, especially the, the, the manifesto part for me was like, hey, this shit is not wrong. Uh, it just got me in my, in my, you the know. The linguistics bit got me. The youthful, re- re- rebellious streak in me uh, from when I was a young lad is kind of still there. And I'm like, hey, let's fucking, do you know, let's think about stuff. Let's not just walk through the streets shouting other people's chants because they sound catchy and cool and then when someone comes up with a microphone and a camera and asks you what are you marching for and you haven't got a fucking breeze and you look like a dope you might want to go out and have a sit down and have a fucking think about the decisions you're making in your life while you're following a load of people shouting about something and protesting about something you actually have no clue about just because everyone else is doing it you're a puppet for somebody else's agenda Go and have a fucking sit down and lie down and think for yourself. Go into a corner and have a quiet word for just Do, please. And that's what that's what that's what Kaczynski is saying. He said you'll all just follow. You'll all be told to do a thing and you'll do it. And it's happening. And there's people who are smart, intelligent, qualified, good, decent, fucking like hu- human people. Humane people who love their families and all that and then they go out and they go like bah, 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 in the streets and they wonder ass they're like i don't know like that that's i can't abide that shit like and it happened to something all altogether too much people are around when fighting with each other man and the wars on the streets over that shit and then when asked why they're going i don't know that's like civil war shit mm. that's like why are you fighting on that side i don't know because he said so like what the fuck man if anything can come out of the Unabomber, if you're able to all read that stuff and come together in some kind of proper political discourse where people can actually make progress with their thoughts, that'd be amazing, wouldn't it? Yeah. That'd be amazing. I wouldn't credit it to him, though. I wouldn't, but the thoughts and ideas are there and he's yeah. the one that, that has brought them to the fore and mm-hmm. is able to say them in the way that he said them because a lot of people now can't write something like that because everyone would be fucking super offended. Yeah. You can't say that. Oh, you can't say anything like that. Why not? Because you're just not allowed to say those things. 
Like the more things we're told we're not allowed to say, that's the more we should be saying them. Yeah. But anyway, that's it for those conspiracy guys for this time. Uh, I'd like to thank Claire for joining me. Thanks so much, Claire. You're welcome. It's been a bit mental. It's been a mental week. We watched that this week. It's been crazy. Yeah. Uh, we're studying all day about this Unabomber, so I'm kind of a bit head up. I'm all, I'm all hot and Unabombed. Um, if you want to get in touch with the show or anything on the show that was incorrect or you felt that we left something out, some of the stuff was left out on purpose, but uh, go and watch the show on Netflix. Um, if you have any commentary or you can provide me with any extra information or if indeed you are a forensic linguist or any of those other things uh, do get in contact info at thoseconspiracyguys.com there's also uh, all the socials Facebook, Twitter, Instagram Reddit, Pinterest all the anywhere there's a thing we have a thing uh, if you want to get us on Snapchat uh, it's T Conspiracy Guys and uh, we also have a Discord as well so for all the Patreon people you get loads of extra rooms and for the Discord folks you can just hang out with all the other TCG fans we have a YouTube channel where we hold all the vlogs and all of the little uh, video clips that are you know that won't get dinged by YouTube for content and all the stuff that I feel would uh, goes on to BitChute so BitChute.com slash Those Conspiracy Guys and all the documentaries are in there and I'll be sharing them on the website as well ThoseConspiracyGuys.com if you want to get a t-shirt or anything to uh, to wear that has some conspiracy stuff and show your colours uh, you can head over to tpublic.com slash store slash Those Conspiracy Guys or click the link on the website and you can get in there I'll leave all the links for all of that stuff in the description for this show below and uh, the lifeblood of the show I just want to give shout outs there's about 60 odd people that have joined Patreon in the last uh in the last month and uh, you're more than welcome to the party and a shout out to uh, Blake and Christine as well top donators and uh, thanks so much for your help over the last year uh, patreon.com slash those conspiracy guys is the lifeblood of the show it keeps the lights on uh, Tay and the mugs over here so if you uh, want to support the show if you want to get some extra material there's extra videos and behind the scenes vlogs and there's recording day vlogs and all the early access stuff and there's outtakes from the shows and interviews and live appearances and we do uh, live chats online using the peer.in and we stream to twitch and youtube and facebook and periscope and all that stuff all of the good stuff for the interactions if you want to interact with it patreon.com slash those conspiracy guys is the crack and at the top of the show i won't give you a long one but don't forget about the gofundme so it's gofundme.com slash tcgtv uh, please go and have a read of that it's not my manifesto but it does have a lot of good information about what we're going to do when we're on our trip to the usa Are you excited for that claire oh i'm very excited yeah it's going to be great crack isn't it um yeah, it's still a bit surreal to me, to be honest, because I'm still doing my full-time non-conspiracy yeah. guy's job. So I suppose when I, you know, officially give notice, yeah, uh, it'll be more real. But yeah, ridiculously excited. I'm, ver- I'm very excited. There's loads of uh, extra equipment and, and all the legal proceedings and visas and all that kind of stuff is all on the way now. So uh, if you head over to gofundme.com, slash tcgtv and donate what you can like i said at the top of the show i need fifteen thousand people to give a fiver or any combination of denominations of money therein uh i as far as i've just released the natalie holloway episode a couple of days ago and that has already surpassed twenty thousand downloads so if every one person who listened to that show gave a fiver done i have a hundred percent of the campaign i need to get to thirty thousand by the end of february if i don't there'll be serious truncations on the project in in general which i don't want to do i don't want to have to do 
so if you're thinking, oh, I'll get them next month or I'll get them in March or April, it can't go that far. You have to do it now. If you're going to do it, you have to do it now to let me know that's a viable project. If not, I'll go another direction with it. So gofomi.com slash TCGTV. That's it for this time on Those Conspiracy Guys. My name's Gordo. My name's Claire. Thanks very much for listening. That's been Thank the Unabomber. And uh, let me know what you think uh, and enjoy yourself. Goodbye. Yay.